All right, what is up, ghosts? And uh, yeah, sorry you haven't heard from us in a while, and uh, you know sometimes life just happens. And uh, yeah, actually right now I'm getting, still getting over being a little sick, so if I sound kind of weird, that's what that's part of the reason. And uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, before we get into the actual episode, I just wanted to uh, make comment like this was recorded about like maybe like two weeks before Christmas, and uh, we intend I. I intended to have it out before then, but obviously that hasn't happened, and it's probably gonna get, just going to get released as, like, the uh, January episode, as, uh, well, we just got busy. I mean, like I said, life happens, and it, it is what it is, but, yeah, we haven't stopped doing the podcast, and uh, we're here. We plan on doing the podcast for quite some time to come, as long as we have stuff to talk about and uh, people to talk to. We'll keep on doing it, and, uh, yeah, but before I... We get into the episode, like I was saying, uh, this episode we end up, we did not talk about what we were originally going to talk about, and uh, we ended up talking about a lot of uh, stuff that I've been up to specifically uh, lately, which uh, is stuff that, uh, I mean, for obvious personal reasons, but for reasons well beyond myself, I think is uh, pretty important, and I just want to make a quick message at the beginning to uh, explain that to you guys. So I've been working on my thesis in these uh, last couple semesters of school which I graduate in the spring and uh, is turned into a project, which I'm calling the last deployment project. Why is it the last deployment project? Because it revolves around, well, the last deployment of U.S. troops to Afghanistan in uh, August of 2021, uh, which the Afghan pullout, the Afghan withdrawal, whatever you want to call it, the uh, NEO operation that, hurt, that occurred there. And uh, yeah, so I'm looking for and to talk to, any guys or gals that were there and you just record their stories and like how they saw things go down on the ground. And uh, I've interviewed quite a few guys already, but I'm always looking for more. I always will be looking for more. So I just want to kind of put that call out there. So say, Hey, if anybody out there knows somebody who was there and uh, they think, well, I would absolutely want to talk to them if they're willing. Uh, don't force them. And I'm not trying to force anybody to do anything because there's some guys out there who just don't want to talk about it. And some guys out there who just aren't ready to talk about it. I've already come across that. So don't worry about that. But yeah. So there's, if you know anybody out there who was there and wants to talk about it, I'm all ears. I can't wait. And I hope uh, I'm not going to get much more into it than that right now because we just want to get right into the episode. It's been a long time since y'all heard from us. And uh, yeah, I go into it pretty, uh, pretty in depth and pretty thoroughly in there. And I hope that uh, the conversation that we have and the argument that I make for it in the episode itself is uh, pretty convincing. And hope it comes across as genuine because it is. I care very deeply about this. I care very deeply about the people who have uh, who went there and came back because uh, hasn't been. It wasn't easy over there, and it hasn't been easy for them coming back. A lot of them. Some have been able to move on. Some have not. But anyway, I get into that in the episode. Uh, me and Dylan. So uh, yeah. I uh, hope y'all had a awesome Christmas like we I hope y'all had an awesome Christmas. I think we had a pretty good one here. And I uh, hope y'all had an awesome New Year's as well. This will be out on the uh, 7th. But if you're listening to it, then you already know that because it'll be out on the 7th. So uh, anyway, without dragging this out any more than it needs to be, hope y'all enjoyed the episode and uh, see you next time.
I'm sorry. I was lazy. I didn't do my research. Well, this was a whole. This was your idea. I That's know. The thing. I know this was my thing, but I'm just gonna speak from the heart. <laughs> no one fact check me. <laughs> I feel like you tend to do that anyway. Yeah, that's kind of true. I thought I tried to throw some fact in there. I know. You know. Yeah. I just feel like your knowledge is just like so specialized. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's it's pretty specialized. And unless I have some weird fascination with something and do some digging myself, I don't really go beyond basic information. I guess you could say. Yeah. So, anyway, hello, people. We've been gone for a while. Sorry we didn't post anything in November. Uh, life is crazy. And plus, November and December is like a double whammy. You got back-to-back holidays. It's just a lot. I think we both got pretty busy all of a sudden. Yeah, so. But we do apologize. We're here. It's going to be late, but we're here. <laughs> and we promise to post something on time I'll, in January, right? Or that's the goal. Yeah, we'll try to. I mean, yeah. Uh, we're going on vacation at the end of this month, so it's going to be a little But this one this one at least will be out this month, so. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll definitely a- attempt and try very hard to get something out in January, at the beginning of January. Yeah. Um anyway, I hope all of you've been good. We've been good. It's been a little crazy. I think you. I think you've been more than good recently. It, yeah, yeah, I've had a stream of good things happen. So. Yeah, like what? Oh, my sharing. Yeah, you're sharing. Do they really want to hear about? I mean, my... obviously, you don't have to share details, but. Okay. Well, I finally was able to officially apply for my license. Um, I have all of the paperwork submitted, so I just have to hear back from the state, which is awesome. Yeah, you finally passed all your national exams. I did, yeah. It was uh, super emotional and crazy. Uh, It took like a whole week to honestly process that. I feel like... It's like I really couldn't believe it at first. Um, Yeah. It was just kind of like shock. And uh, it was just a lot. I feel like it's a lot now. I think about it and it still kind of blows my mind. Because I was working towards it for so long. That, um, oh, I'm saying um a lot. I'm sorry, guys. I'm very aware of it now. <laughs> I use my thinking words. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was about to say it again. Anyway. <laughs> you just have to teach yourself to be comfortable with a uh, pause. With a pause, yeah. Between words. I'm trying. While you're, while you're thinking. I'm going to try. No, it's that. a hard thing for most people. That's why a lot of people say uh, like, and stuff like well, that. Well, I feel like I use um as like my jump back into the sentence. Like, like yeah. I use the word like. Yeah. Keep keep, keep Sorry, giving guys. me keep giving me examples. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm trying really hard to work on not saying my thinking words and just pausing and taking a second. So if I sound funny or different, all of a sudden that's what that is. Anyway, back to what I was saying. It was kind of a shock to have passed all of my exams and finally being able. To being allowed basically to submit the rest of my paperwork for my license i'm waiting back to hear from the state i'm hoping by january um i'll have taken my license exam and i'll be fully licensed and i can start practicing which is amazing 
In the meantime, I found a temporary kind of trial run basis job, which is in my line of field. So that's also exciting. My first official day is actually tomorrow, which is just insane. I'm nervous, excited. I'm a little bit of everything. I'm scared. I have my doubts and my worries and I'm still struggling a little bit with my self-confidence, but I'm, I'm getting there. It's, it's a work in progress. I think I just have to build myself back up again a little bit, get, gain a little confidence by working in the field that I love and hope to make it the rest of my, my lifelong career, which would be awesome. Yeah. I think you'll be fine. It's like you're saying, it's more of just like, for, think of like first day of school nurse, like first yeah. day on the job. It's Yeah, it's exciting. It's new. It's different. Like you're ready. It's like, it's like, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like a little kid who's just like beaming with like anxiousness and nervousness of what's to come. And I can't wait to keep learning and growing um, in my field. And I really hope that the place that I'm in can help me achieve that goal and um who knows maybe in five or ten years i'll own my own practice and it'll i can grow something of my own and it'd be really awesome it would be really awesome if that could happen yeah now i feel like i'm the one behind (laughs) no you're not behind If, if anything you've always been ahead of me this was this was my first step in because, look, if you think about it, I'm still not licensed, so you're still kind of ahead of me in terms of, you know. Well, you're out of school now, and I'm still in school, so there's okay. that. Pause, people, just so you know. He graduated, got a bachelor's degree, and then went straight to the Marines. The only reason why he's back in school is because he literally went for a master's degree, and that's why you're in school, and that's fine. Yeah, but I went... Stop. I went straight from getting a bachelor's degree straight into another school for like three and a half years. Super intense program. And it still took me two years after graduating from that to get where I am. So stop. You're amazing. We're both doing really good. Honestly, I don't even think... You get to put letters next to your name though. I don't yet. Oh, be quiet. Letters don't mean anything. Uh, Honestly. (laughs) Like... And, and that, too, is weird. Everyone at this office is calling me, like... You better get used to that shit quick and start owning it. I'm gonna, Doctor. Ah! Ah! No! <laughs> <laughs> no, I will, but, like, technically I'm working... Because it's a temporary thing and I don't have my license, I'm working as a tech. You're still a so, doctor, though. I am, because and, I, I have the degree. And you said the people at the office... Like, regardless, we're still calling you doctor. Yeah, it, that's just weird. It's, it's, it's just, it's just the only people have ever, I've ever felt, I feel like the only people who have ever, like, seriously called me doctor were, like, my friends who I went to school with who are also doctors. So it's like, it's like they, I feel like they, because they saw me grow and, like, learn everything, they, like, I, I don't know. It's almost like an honor to be called a doctor by them. Because, like, we, we all went to school and we all know each other and how we operate. So it's like, you know, it's kind of like a, like, I wouldn't even say a pride thing. It's just like, I don't know. I feel very honored to be called doctor by my friends. I don't think a lot of people see me as one in terms of my friends who didn't go to the extra schooling with me. So, 
It is nice to be recognized. I do have one friend who actively calls me doctor, and she is just amazing. Who, Robin? No, oh, Alex. Re- oh, okay. Yeah. Well, no. Well, Rena and Sydney are the ones who I'm talking about. Yeah, I figured. Yeah, but Alex will always call me doctor all the time. She's she's great. She comes to me for, like, health advice all the time, which is really nice. I really appreciate that, actually. Because not everyone is... I feel like... And you hear stories about it all the time. Like, your family are your worst patients. You never want to treat your family because no one truly trusts you. Because I, I think it's... I think it's really because, like, they know you, and they're just, like, they feel awkward about it or something. I mean, you come to me, and actually, my sisters have come to me, but I feel like my dad is still weird about me practicing on him and, like, helping him with stuff, and and I think it's because, like, I'm his little girl. Like, it's weird to have me be so adult in front of him, I think. I feel a little weird about it, but also I'm, like, kind of casual about it because, like, I've done it for people who are, like, twice, thrice my age, or I don't know, thrice my age. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Words are hard. There's the the Shakespearean language. (laughs) Yep. So, it's, you know, but it's it's definitely, it's exciting. I do hope I can get used to that because even in school when I was in the clinics, no one... You weren't, well, we technically weren't allowed to be called doctors because, of course, we didn't have, like, our degree or license or anything like that. Yeah, y'all were students at the time. Makes sense. Yeah. But everyone still called us by, like, our first names. For everyone um, in this office calls me by my last name, which is still my maiden name. Um, you got time to figure that out. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, I'm only doing that because I, <laughs> I need to figure out legally how I can still... Because I kind of still want to go by my maiden name in terms of a doctor, but I also want to legally change my name to be your last name. So it's, I just got to make sure I've got my ducks in a row before I do all that. And honestly, uh, Rena could help me on that, but she has her last name hyphenated, so it's different. I don't want to hyphenate my last name, but I'm not going to combine two last names. It's weird, because then you would have to change your name. Yeah, no. <laughs> Anyway. I, I, I went through that phase <laughs> when I was a preteen. <laughs> I'm good. What? Yeah, I thought about trying to change, trying to talk my parents into. Oh, your uh, first name. Into changing my yeah my first yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, because you don't like your first name. Well, I did. Well, are I, you cool with your first name now? Actually? I'm fine with it now. I just I, I hated it when I was. You hated little. growing up. Yeah. yeah. Why? What was the beef? Was it just because your name sounds like a certain? Yeah character well that really fucking narrows it down (laughs) (laughs) i mean everyone knows our first names (laughs) what you know what giving out personal information does any have we ever said our last names on here i don't think so i don't think that needs to change anytime soon (laughs) no no we good we good (laughs) anyway good things are happening for both of us i feel you just finished your semester up and you're also working on your thesis yep and it's really really good might i add i mean you've got like the what it's like the three three and a quarter for like the what is it called the pre something the prelude 
what it, you have a term for it on your paper. I have a preface and I have an introduction oh, right preface. now. Oh, preface. That's what I'm talking about. I don't know what you would call that. Well. Why is it called preface? Because it's the preface. It's the setup for the. Uh, but it's, like, it's like. It's like part of the setup. What does preface mean? Well, preface. It's like what you see before you actually get to the rest of it. I don't know. I feel like it's like. I don't know. I'm going to look it up later, I guess. I mean, if you want a technical definition, yeah, look it up later. <laughs> but yeah, generally, it's, it's, just, it's what you see. It gets you set up yeah. for what you're about to get yourself into. I don't know why I said prelude. I think it's because... It's fruit, more or less the same thing. I, I guess because, like, uh, in my head, like, Fruits Basket prelude was, like... The, uh -oh. You know what I... <laughs> you know? That's how... I think that's where that word popped out of. Because that's like something that I've watched recently that has that term in it. Didn't mean to bring the weeb out in you for a second there. No, it's okay. I, it's, I've only begun. Really? Yeah. But yeah, that was my busy stuff was uh, working on that, which uh, I haven't been, I haven't really been working on it the last couple of days. I've just been kind of honestly chilling a little bit. We also had a very busy weekend yeah we yeah we did some volunteer stuff for my <coughs> church and um it was just some long hours for like well for me it was like almost a week well yeah longer for you than me i was just there for what four hours all together well, well probably like six hours or so all together yeah yeah i would <laughs> say six hours all together but i mean it was still like just busy 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 there was just like a lot of stuff to do in a short amount of time we got it all done, but it was um, it was definitely intense for sure. But I think you needed that time to just like chill because you forced yourself to get your at least like your kind of like beginning stuff done before we did that that this past weekend. Mm -hmm. So I think you deserve a couple of days of just like chilling. And you're about to go. You're gonna go hunting a lot this weekend yep. or this week and weekend. So I think it's good that you're just like chilling and you know kind of getting your your strength and your sleep back up before you got to go put in those long hours hunting and stuff yeah honestly i mean uh i think in most of louisiana if not all louisiana it's uh you're only really allowed to like still hunt which means like you just go out you find a spot and you sit there for however long you feel like sitting there and hope something comes by you mm-hmm well, I mean, honestly, you don't just hope something comes by you. You, like, scout out the area. You look for tracks, scat, and shit like that, which I've done that. So I know when I do go hunting Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's just, like, you just you sit there and wait for something to come by, and you don't realize how, honestly, how tiring that is Yeah. Well, <laughs> until, you, until you do it for a couple of days. Yeah. It's like well, it's like well, all you're doing is just sitting there, and then you get and then you get back from that, and then you're tired for what feels like no reason. And then you wake up the next day and you're like, well, now now I feel even worse. <laughs> yeah, but here we go again. Yep. <laughs> but you also you're not taking into account like you're waking up at the like before the sun even rises. Like it's still super dark outside. You're waking up early. You're driving to wherever you're going, and then you have to, like, walk out to wherever you're going to sit and be for a while. And to you mentally, your brain is, like, on fire because, like, you're just, like, you have to stay really focused. And honestly, like, being out there with you last year, 
like, y'all are good at spotting deer. I was bad at it. I w- I couldn't see Jack. But then you would be like, oh, look at that shadow. Like, that's a doe. Like, da 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 And I'm just, I literally, like, so I think sometimes I just agreed with you <laughs> because I felt embarrassed. But I oh, couldn't it, see it. It's not like you, you just watch for movement. And if you see something move, then you hone in on it. It was like you try to figure out what it is that's moving. I think my paranoia exceeds what my actual ISC, though. Because I think... No, I, that happens whenever... Like, the same thing happens. Like, this is, like, part of, like, Marine Corps training coming in. Is that when you're on watch and you're scanning an area... You scan it with one area for so long, eventually you'll start... Seeing something... Well, not necessarily start seeing something, but it's like, uh, uh, this was in a, if you ever seen the show Generation Kill, uh, it, it gets brought up, it gets brought up in that show too, but it's a trick of the eyes. Like if you stare in like a general area or general or one direction so long, your eyes will start to fucking vibrate. Oh yeah. They get the gonna, back and forth thing. And it's, and it's going to look like shit's moving, but it ain't actually moving. Yeah. Gonna, and then you're going to start to hallucinate. It's like, why did your, your brain, brain do that? It's just the receptors in your brain. It's like if you're actively looking for something and there's nothing there. It wants to create something for you to see? Pretty much. Eventually, after so long of just looking there, if there's nothing actually there, your brain is going to make something up. And it's just going to project it out there. So like a little shadow moves. Or if you think like, oh, this fucking branch moved in a weird way when it probably didn't. Or at best, that was just the fucking wind. Right. So it is what it is. So you'll see shit start moving just because. Right. That's why. Did that ever happen to you, like, in the field? Yeah, I mean, that's happened to me a few times just being out in the woods. I mean, obviously, hunting that's happened. Uh, being in the field, being on watch, that's happened. Yeah. It's just, it's a thing that happens. But, like, once you, like, know about it and you recognize it, you can, like, you can rationally process that. It's like, okay, this is just, there's nothing actually moving. So there's- so there's no adrenaline like pumping like immediately like you're no ready I mean it's so like you still see movement and you hone in on it and you like stare at it for a long time you try to figure it out and see and just like see if it does anything unnatural mm-hmm. and you can generally figure out after staring at it for a little bit it's like and then you look away and then you look back you look away you look back and if you look away and look back enough times and it's like it's not moving it's probably nothing mm-hmm. or it's a fucking sniper who's really good at his job right. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the shitty part, but then you just got to make those calls. And uh, that's when uh, listening to your intuition, listening to your gut comes into play. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think that we've both been super, super busy. What were you going to say? You were saying something earlier. I feel like you cut yourself off. How long in Louisiana can you do the whole, like, sit still and hunt thing? What is it called? What was the term you used earlier? What do you mean? The hunting season? Like, how long is the season? No, like, it sounded like what, because you know how, like, when hunting season first starts and you can't use anything but, like, arrows or whatever, bows and arrows? Oh, yeah, when it first opens up, like, back in, uh, I think Louisiana, the season starts up in, uh... It's in November, right? Or is it earlier than that? No, bow season starts, like, a month before rifle season. Oh, shoot. Yeah, you're right. So like October. So honestly, Louisiana has a pretty long season. It's pretty de- it's pretty good season. No. Uh, but like really quick before we get off the topic, what I was saying is earlier you said actually you said something along the lines of like actually in Louisiana the time for when you 
and you were talking about like the sit still hunting were you trying to say there's a time frame where you can't do that like you can't be on the ground sitting no i'm just saying in louisiana i'm pretty sure it's like if you're in louisiana and you're deer hunting it's all still hunting like you can't go around like walk around the woods oh i didn't know you could do you can do that in some states you can walk around and hunt uh yeah, well, especially like bigger game, like uh, like out west, like elk hunting. Uh-huh. Like you, you don't sit and wait for them to come to you. You stalk those dudes. Yeah. But like white tail. Well, the same with like goats and stuff too, right? Like the ones that climb on mountains and stuff. Like we've yeah. seen them in that one show. Yeah, but it's like white tail deer. Well, one walking around the woods. Deer don't have the great eyesight, but they have pretty decent hearing, and they have a really good sense of smell. So if you're trudging through the woods looking for them, they're gonna. Hear Chances you. are they're avoiding you. Yeah, they're going to hear you and smell you probably well before you hear or see them. Wouldn't it be so funny if, like, if, like, there was, like, if there was, like, a scene in, like, a cartoon where it was, like, someone hunting, but the deer heard the hunter coming because he's walking around. So, like, if you saw, like, a, like, above view shot of it, it was, like, the deer were, like, circling, like, behind him the whole time because they were, like, trying to avoid where he was going. Wouldn't that be really funny? I feel like it would. I feel like it'd be I really feel like funny. That's, a, that's an Elmer Fudd cartoon. Yeah, that's exactly. I was literally, I was going to say like Bugs Bunny and like Elmer Fudd, but I was like, is that too kiddish? Like, but, like that's really what it is. But IRL, if deer feel like they're, uh, if deer are in a certain area and they feel like there's a threat, they're just going to vacate the whole fucking area for at least a day. Oh, a whole, like they'll like, like literally? They'll just straight up leave and they won't come back. Oh, dang. Well, I mean, they'll come back, but, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a minute. So just like one, go scope it out, and then be like, "Hey guys, we're cool now." Like, uh, no, not really. Because there's not like one main leader buck, is there? Is there like one? Leader? Sometimes there are bucks. Like, that... are we bambing in real life? Like, no. Sometimes there are bucks that like roam together, but usually, I mean, when. When it's not around the rut, when it's not around, like, the mating season for the deer, yeah. does and bucks will intermingle. Okay, because you told me that, like, does and their babies, like, especially, like, the female babies, stay together, like, pretty much in general, Does right? will Does generally will always stick together, unless it's a, unless it's probably, more than likely, unless it's, like, an old doe. Yeah. Who's, like, probably close to the end of her days or yeah. something like that. Yeah, just wants to be left alone. So like just but does maybe, maybe there's also like, there's also young does who either like get separated from other does or yeah. like it was just and they get picked up or it was just like her and uh, it was her mom or whatever mm. but her mom got killed for whatever like like yeah, bear yeah. or hunter for whatever reason and then just grew up on her own. You're slouching. Well, I'm trying to be close because we're really fucking quiet right now. Are we really? <laughs> yeah, look at it. <laughs> yeah, we kind of are, aren't we? I'm sure it'll be fine. Did you test it? Yeah, I did, but we can't turn it up anymore because it's already picking up the laundry. Oh, well, we could just turn that off until we're <laughs> done recording. You want me to go get it? Yeah, I got it. You got it? Yeah, yeah anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Are you going to fix the volume now? Uh, I don't know. Playing with the gain is funky because it was like the white noise and everything. Oh, okay. Anywho. Uh, you still want me to talk about hunting or you want to move on to something else? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, we got stuff growing in the garden, guys. 
We have stuff growing. I don't know where we left off the last time we talked, but I grew a whole cantaloupe. It was, I had a couple. There were a couple really good ones, and then some of, I don't know what happened. There were, th- there were three cantaloupe that were growing. Yeah. Two of them started to rot on the vine. Yeah. Which we ha- sucked. Yeah. But, uh... I think something happened and they just weren't getting the nutrients they needed. I think I but needed to give them more more um, plant-like food, basically. Yeah. But we did get one that turned out pretty damn good. So You didn't even try it. You don't like cantaloupe. Well, yeah. You, you tried it and you said it was good. It, it was actually, yeah. I mean, it, just looking it, at it for me, it looked good. It yeah, smelled good. It was actually good. <laughs> but no, we have some carrots growing right now. We have some onions that we won't harvest until the spring. And we have... Oh, we have some sweet sweet peas? Yeah, there's sweet yeah. peas. Sweet peas and... what else? We have something Which else. we're probably going to harvest those soon. Yeah, we have to. In the next I week or so. I think, I think our problem is crowd control. I don't think we have enough room in between everything. And I think, I also think that we should stop doing the raised plant bed because I think it's good for like the bottom section and the top, top section, but the middle section doesn't make any sense to me anymore. Cause I feel like everything's not getting enough nutrients and I don't, maybe that's our fault. We don't use enough like plant food, um, in between watering and everything like that. But, um, I don't know. I feel like we just need to put more compost in there. Like, once we harvest what we harvest out of there, just, like, put as much decent compost in there as we can. Yeah. We need to, like, well, we need to stir our compost. We need to probably put some of our dirt that's in our garden in the compost, stir it all up, and just, like, re put everything back in. I agree. It's kind of like we need a, it's like we need a factory reset. That's what we need. Yeah. But other than that, our oregano is doing super, super good. My avocado tree, y'all. Avi, he's doing amazing. I love this plant, guys. He's my favorite. Needs a bigger pot now. Yeah, oh, yeah. I have to transfer him. But that's Again, okay. This will, be, this will be like the second time he's been transferred. It's okay because he's about to gain a friend. I am in the middle of trying to get another avocado seed to um, produce, like, the roots and stuff like that and it's almost there it just needs a little bit more time i actually want to go ahead and like pot it but i've just been we just haven't been doing anything lately so um i feel like at this point might as well just wait till uh, the cold's over no i know that's kind of what i was thinking it's like i want to pot it but at the same time it's about we're about to get a cold front in so it might just be best to wait yeah. and but, hopefully this will be the last cold front and then it'll just be cold from here on yeah and um i <laughs> I replanted some lettuce that I had actually bought from the store and we didn't get like hardcore lettuce from it, but we got some lettuce seeds. So now we can... Which you probably, or I don't know, we probably need to pick those up soon because it looks like the plants are starting to die now. No, 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 they are. I was looking at them (laughs) earlier today. Um, But then I don't know what's going on with... um, I don't know what's going on with the cabbage or the cauliflower. I don't think the cauliflower is going to do anything at this point. The cabbage? I thought it was all lettuce. Just two different kinds of lettuce. Was it different kinds of lettuce? Dude, I don't even remember I don't know. You're supposed to tell me. I don't even remember. I really should write this down. It doesn't look like cabbage. To me, it doesn't really look like cabbage. Okay. To me, it just looks like another kind of lettuce. Maybe it was like a head of lettuce. I can't remember. Because I planted romaine lettuce, and then maybe that was a head of lettuce. Anyway, besides the point... 
I don't think our cauliflower is going to do anything, even though it looks really good still. I just feel like we would have seen something from it by now. I feel like by looking good, it's still alive, which is better than we did last time with the broccoli. Yeah, in which case, all of those kind of just, they all just kind of died. Yeah. But we're doing a lot better. Uh, rosemary and our spearmint and mint is doing super, super good. Our oregano is blossoming. She's doing so good. Um, I don't know. I don't think our um, our one blueberry bush, that, I think it's going to die. <laughs> the one left that we have. I think it can come back to life. We just have to trim it. I'm just not sure exactly when We can't to do trim that. it in the colds, though. We have to wait until spring comes I know. Again. That's what I'm saying. So we're going to have to like wait and, and, and see. I would still like to try again. I don't know what we did wrong because at first they were like, no, I, I straight up watered it too much. Is that, you really think that's what it was? Yeah. Okay, well, we'll get, maybe we need to get better pots, because I think, were those the pots that we had to make the holes in it? Maybe, I don't know, but but still, regardless, I, I just put too much water on them. Yeah. I mean, bushes are supposed to be pretty resilient, so that you can kind of just, you can water them every now and again, but I just, I just did way too much. Maybe we should actually put them in the ground. Maybe we should just be like, F it, and just like plant one It in the probably ground. would do better if it was actually in the ground. It's just, uh, uh, putting them in the ground is kind of permanent. Yeah. Well, I would like to take it with us once we move. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we'll see what happens. Anyway, our plants are doing moderately well. Um, so, I'm super happy that we did a lot better this winter season than we did last. Of course, we rushed it very fast last year when we tried. The only other thing that I would have liked to get in the ground would be some garlic. I think it's a little too late for it because I should have planted it when I did the onions. But I want to see how well I can do onions. Um, garlic is just like, I use so much garlic already. Well, um, we actually had good, we had good luck with the garlic when we uh, did it earlier this year. We did to a we, point. We put, we put a few bulbs in the ground and I mean, there was a couple of them didn't make it, but there was at least one or two that actually did grow some garlic and did pretty well. Yeah, no, so you're we, not wrong. So we're still net positive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're doing good, all things considered. Uh, we're definitely trying to do more, but I think we just need we need more space. We need to get another bed to do yeah. like some stuff in. Ginger turned out great. The ginger was phenomenal. I'm not even going to plant. Well, actually, I kind of want to just plant one just so we can have one in the house. They're so beautiful when they get big. Yeah, you didn't, I didn't realize ginger plants got this as big as they did yeah they get huge <laughs> well also that probably was at least two and a half maybe even three feet yeah they were big that's I, I i think no i actually said that i actually think that we said that we're gonna do it again but we're gonna put it in its own pot because it was kind of like overtake it was like overtaking that area in our plant well bed. it the ginger itself stayed in the corner that we had it in it's just that when the when it started sprouting and the stalks and the leaves and everything started growing, it really kind of overshadowed everything that was around it. Yeah. So it needs its own pot. We're going to give it its own home um, this coming year. And I'm just going to do it for fun. I'm going to let it go as, as long, as long as I can. And we'll see how it goes. But I'm not going to plant any uh, until I feel probably like we, January. Uh, I feel like we let it go as long as we possibly could. Because the leaves, because you're supposed to harvest it when the leaves start turning yellow and start dying. 
And yeah. They, and they were starting to turn Only yellow. Only some started. of them were doing that, though. I think I harvested I think some they of them were all, too soon. I think they we were didn't... all getting close to that point. Well, they were getting close to that point, but they weren't at that point. I should have waited a little bit longer to harvest them. But it's okay, because we ended up with plenty. So I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, like, I could have done the harvesting process better. But I think we were also desperate to try to plant something else before, um, like, winter started. Which, honestly... We could have waited anyway. We've only had like one cold day here in Louisiana. This weather is the worst. I think we've had like two. <laughs> well, okay, one extra, <laughs> yay. But no, I feel like, uh, and when we're talking about cold days, we're talking about days like under 40 degrees. Where you can actually wear a jacket all day long. We had like one of those. Yeah, and then uh, I wasted the one day when it was like 30 something, and I went to uh, one uh wildlife management area thinking i was gonna be able to like get in there when nobody <laughs> when nobody else was getting in there and i was gonna hunt it and then i get in there about 100 yards and i'm like this ain't happening yeah hunting the swamp i mean if you got uh if you got what we call down here in louisiana if you got a p-row you can get it done but yeah. i don't have a p-row <laughs> yeah and i also don't have thigh-high boots yeah that's something that you definitely need to consider getting. I got a, I got calf high boots. Yeah. <laughs> and that only gets, that doesn't get you very far. <laughs> yeah. As I found out very quickly. Kind of, I'm, I'm good on the life update. Well, just, let's, let's well, get we to talk it. about. I mean, we talked about your thing. You want to talk about my thing a little bit? Your thing. My thesis. We, well, we talked a little bit about it. I don't know you how men- you mentioned it. I know. About it. I don't know how much you want to tell. Well, about it's not. It. I can't really get into like uh, full stories and stuff, but well, I right. can like say what I'm doing. Okay, go for it. Share. Yeah. I would. I mean, I love your topic. So, I mean, you know how I feel about it. I yeah. just didn't know how much you wanted to share yet about it. Well, I'm not gonna share like. I'm not gonna share like dude's stories because I told him I'm not gonna. I told him that's not what I was gonna do. No, of course not. E- eventually, uh, eventually, maybe, but. Okay, maybe explain what the topic is yeah. because I don't think they're gonna know. Yeah, so doing my thesis, and uh, hopefully I'll graduate this coming spring. Whoop I'm I'm thinking I will, and uh, the professor, uh, uh, the department head, and the, and the professors that I'm working with say I will. I'm on track for it. Yeah. Because I've already got all my I've already got all my required courses in. Yeah, you just have to get the thesis done. Yeah, I, just, I really just had to get the thesis done. And unfortunately, I have to take two courses this coming semester just because I need hours. Wait, you have, like, what, what actual classes? You're going to actual classes? Yeah. <gasps> but I've been Are you t- really? Yeah. You better hope they don't ask you to read a book a week. Well, I'm going to have to read. I know that. But I've heard that one of them... Uh, is pretty understanding, and if you're doing a thesis and like that, because in the uh, doing comp, doing comp, comprehensive exams, he's pretty understanding about that. He'll just like kind of as long as you show up to class and you do the reading and you participate with the discussion in the class, he's pretty. He's pretty lenient. He's pretty lenient and understanding. He's like, yeah, you got bigger things going on right now. Okay, what so about the that, other one? Uh, the other one I've heard nothing but good things about as well, so I'm not oh. too concerned about him. Okay, I, I'll well, probably I guess that's have, good. I mean, I'm gonna have to do stuff. Yeah. But it's not going to be like, oh, the, the professors aren't going to be like, oh, no, this, my class is your priority now. Yeah. Well, wait, is this, is this to make your, um, your GI, like your, your VA stuff? Is that why you need to take the courses or you need to take the courses to continue being a GA? Well, I need to take the courses, one, to get the GI, yeah. 
and then also to like actually be enrolled in the university. Oh, okay. So, because I've already done my my thesis hours uh, this past semester. All of them? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I didn't know that. I mean, I knew you were putting in hours, but yeah. <laughs> I was really worried, y'all. He had me so scared. He, I don't know if we mentioned it, but he had switched his topics mid-semester and I was low-key panicking for him. I was like, oh crap, he put in all this time, all this effort, all this money into researching this one topic and now he's just switching it? Like, what the hell is he thinking? Like, I hope he can handle it. Like, I hope he's going to be okay. Like, I hope it's going to work out. And honestly, I think it's going so, so well. I could not be more proud, honestly. Well, it's getting to the point now where it's like, now I have to actually start producing something. I can't just go through the motions anymore. And that's a little nerve-wracking, but uh, is it is what it is. Well, I, I think that, like, I mean, you say going through the motions, but you are gathering oral histories from people, and I don't feel like that's just going through the motions because... That's like solid well, I'm information. Not, it's not really going through the motions. It's like now I have to like really, I can't just sit there and listen to people talk anymore. I have to like, now I have to like really work yeah. and write stuff down, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, I've got my preface now and I've got my introduction now. And uh, I need to have the first chapter done by the time I go back to school in about middle of January. So that's going to be fun. I haven't been working on that the last couple of days, but I'm going to start working on that probably the end of this week. Well, well yeah. You, you need to because you're going, we'll have Christmas. Yeah, I'll, I'll start, I'll do, I'll, do, I'll do work on it tomorrow and then probably this week, yeah, this weekend. Yeah. So, yeah, tomorrow well, and this weekend I'm, I'm going to be working on it. And you need to time manage well because we'll have Christmas. Then right after that, you're leaving to go hang out with your buds. Yeah. And then you're leaving them to go on a family vacation with my family. So. Yeah. It's going to be very hectic for like a week. Like a week and a half almost. Well, the, the saving grace is that I pretty much have all the information I need. And what little bit of more information I need is very easy to get for the most part. It's just compiling it all down and like putting it into a cohesive uh, format mm -hmm. that is a uh, easy to read but hopefully it's the way that i write if people actually want to read right so yeah but anyway so i i was originally doing my thesis on uh more or less the history of modern american education and uh the development of that also that's what sparked the podcast about school and like teachers and stuff which Clearly, it just was not to anyone's liking, which is totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel no. It was more. It was more like a Dylan rant moment than than anything. I think. So. I think there was not. There wasn't anything wrong with that one. Nah, it was okay. Anyway, that's kind of what sparked that because we were talking about what he was reading and like the books that he bought for research and stuff like that. Yeah, and once you start getting into like the history of it and everything, it's very. It's, it's so very stupid. It's very frustrating. Yeah. Because I was going through it looking for stuff like, okay, American education today is pretty trash. Where did it start to go wrong? From the get-go? 
pretty much from like when public ed- when public education really became a thing in the United States, which uh, it's kind of always been a thing in the U.S. since like the beginning in the 19th century. But uh, at the end of the 19th century, going into the 20th century, and about the 1940s, 1950s is when it was like, okay, public education is here, and it is like the main force of education in the United States. And it's in that period of like the 1880s, 1890s, up until the 1940s and 1950s is like pretty much like the development period of school. I mean school's gone through a lot of changes in the last 20 30 years as well but that was but that first period that i was talking about from like the 1880s to the 1950s that was when school as we know it today really started to become a thing and uh yeah it's very frustrating reading all the theories and then uh not just the theories because there's some theories that are actually pretty good that actually kind of liked like uh I don't know, I, my opinion on John Dewey, who's a very big name in American education, especially in the development of American educa- education in the early 20th century, the, in the early 20th century, uh, I had a pretty negative view of him going into the research, and once I actually started like reading his stuff and reading about what he was trying to do, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm more or less all for it, most for the most part, not to down to like the last detail, I think, but I think he was on the right track, and I think had a an actual Dewey bottle been implemented in the American school system, I think it would it would be better than what we have now. And uh, there, unfortunately, there was a lot of people who kind of took his ideas, well, not really even his ideas, but kind of took his name, plastered it on whatever their ideas were, and said like, oh, this is the Dewey system, uh, the Dewey model of schooling in practice with, uh, with our ideas. But yeah. not really. Yeah, but not really. <laughs> We're just using his name because it sounds good, and he's got like no. He was very. He was very well known and well liked. Yeah. At the time, and uh, especially in scholarly circles, and uh, yeah, he had a lot of good ideas that he wanted to see implemented in the school system. But are but... any of them actually in the school system? Did any of them actually make it? Any of his ideas actually make it? In the American public school system, no. There okay. are some schools around the country. Which are really like private institutions that try to implement try to implement some of his ideas, but they're few and far between, and for the most part, they're not really well known. And even then, there's uh, one there's one or two schools that I looked up that like call themselves like the Dewey School, and uh, I I, I can't judge them really because I, I haven't like spoken to them or talked about, but just looking them up, it didn't really seem like they were really intellectually and uh philosophically following the school they were just kind of going through the motions Mm -hmm. not really giving it too much thought at least that's the way it came across to me uh so really don't take my word for it that's just the way it appeared to me but yeah yeah reading about all that stuff was very frustrating and uh even like i gave one of the books that i was reading for my research to to my dad because the book that i gave to him uh, I can't remember the title of it. I'm, I'm not gonna go get it right now. It went from like 1890, from like 1890 up until like 1958, which uh, my dad was born in the late 50s and he grew up in the 60s and 70s education system. 
So like this was all the development leading to his time in the school. So all the stuff that the book was talking about is what he had to deal with in the end when he went to school. Gosh, that's so rough. Yeah, and uh, if you think about it, people who've been who, people who first started like doing the whole school thing, the whole college thing, they were such guinea pigs. Oh, 100%. They were like, okay, we're going to put you all in a classroom and like, let's just see if this works. I mean, honestly though, they're guinea pigs now. Oh yeah, 100%. We were guinea pigs in our time. We're still, yeah. Oh yeah. Everyone is still experiencing that. Because here's the, here's the thing that they'll never say, they'll never admit, but it's the fucking truth. School administrators and these bureaucrats and these lobbyists and everything have no idea what the fuck they're doing. They really don't. But all they know is that if they keep trying to do something, they're going to get money for it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's basically, especially, in, sorry, especially but... in the modern university, the modern university system, that's really what it's all about. It, it ain't about education. It's about fucking, it's a money game. <laughs> that You know what that makes me think of? That makes me think of our old high school principal and how, did, did I tell you the story about how he came into my English class one day and he was like he was like did you guys know that our school's number one top scores and da 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 and he was like we're gonna make it uh we're gonna do that again this year right he was basically like y'all better get high grades so that we can stay in the top spot so we can can get get more more money so we can get more money (laughs) that's literally low-key what he told us like in like the money aspect of course i didn't know about until later i didn't realize it's also it's also more for for that it's also more for his benefit as well because if you can say like, oh, I was the principal at one of the top rated oh, schools Oh, yeah, it looks good state, on a resume. It looks great on a resume. If he wants to go leave the state, yeah. go to a place like New York or Phil- or Philadelphia or Chicago. And get, like make even more money. Or Chicago and work at a bigger school up there and make even more money. Like that looks good. Looks good. Yeah. And uh, it's the same kind of thing where uh, officers in the military, if you got guys doing good shit that looks good on paper and... Uh, Mm-hmm. You make it look that way, then that's fucking good on your resume. You can use that to get yourself to the next fucking rank. Exactly. Which I had a lieutenant like that. Not gonna say names. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I had a couple lieutenants like that, and uh, I don't, I didn't like either of them. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, that was a that was just the stuff that I learned from you on that is wild. But okay, yeah. so you you but, went from that to what? Well, uh, I didn't finish my dad's story first. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. I know sorry. this is dragging on, but uh, when I gave that book to my dad, and he read through it. Uh, I don't think he finished it, but he read through pretty much most of it. There was at one point where I think he just he got fed up with it and he didn't want to read anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, because uh, it was kind of irritating him. He'll never say he's pissed off, but <clears throat> it was irritating. You can get the vibe. It was irritating him, and he's like, "Who gave these people the authority and the right to decide how people?" Learn things. Well, not necessarily how people learn things, but like they get to. There's a point in the book where you start to see clearly these people, especially like the uh, the social melorists and the social uh, shit. What the fuck are they called? The social reformers, and uh, they basically saw it as their divine will and right to decide the future of society. Basically, it's like okay, we're going to build a society based. In our image. And that's basically what happened. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know if you 
if we're if we're going to the podcast and you start on a rant or something, I might get up and go find that go find that <laughs> book real quick. And uh, actually, mm, actually, I'm not sure if it's here. Or it's back at the school. It might be at the school. You left it at school. Yeah, it might be here. It might be at the school. I'm not sure. I have to look. But if you get on like a rant later in the podcast, and I'll I'll get up and go see if it's in the office, and okay. I'll I'll say the title and everything, because <laughs> it's it's not a, I mean it's not a fun book to get through. It's not difficult though, and it's a pretty good overview of everything that was going on. But if it's uh, stuff you're not really familiar with, which it probably which it probably isn't, would you stop fucking pinching me? Stop itching your foot. Fine then. <laughs> but anyway, I switched my topic. About when would you say like end of September, beginning of October? Yeah, I think I feel like that's accurate. No, 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 wait. Yeah, August. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's accurate. Yeah, so end of September, beginning of October, I switched topics uh, to something completely different. Completely different, y'all. <laughs> completely different. When he told me, my mouth dropped. I'm not even kidding. So I decided that I, I after talking to a couple guys and uh, coming to a realization. I found myself in kind of a unique position to like, hey, I can do something with this small network and this information that I have. Mm-hmm. And that was to do an oral history about the Afghan pullout Yep. Uh, last year in, in Kabul. Because I came to learn that I knew at least seven, personally knew at least seven Marines that were there. Yep. And, uh, so far, I've gotten to talk to six of them. Still working on the last guy, which he's just... I mean, I want to call him out on here so bad. It's like, I'm looking for you, son of a bitch. <laughs> no! <laughs> don't! Don't say anything. You're not allowed to say names. You I know, know I'm not going to say names. Also, though, like if you don't exactly know what the Afghan pullout is, because I even had to have a quick lesson on it, full disclosure, I'm not a very political person, by nature and I'll be real I don't know a whole lot about like why we were even over there and stuff like that so Christopher has graciously educated me on a lot of that as well as his dad when I'm over at their house so but if you want a little bit of information about it you should go watch the documentary on what what platform is it on is it HBO uh, HBO made a documentary yeah. what's uh, it called a few months I think it came out in August of this year yeah 2022 I think or it was this year it was it, this it was this year for time. sure and uh it's called escape from kabul yeah and uh that will give you bare minimum like it like if you have no idea what's going on it's gonna blow your mind like honestly it it blew my mind i may have cried a little bit but i'm just an emotional person by nature well um, the thing it, it, i mean i'm not really an emotional person uh, outwardly speaking, but when I I've I watched that interview uh, that interview the documentary one there time. Were interviews in it, so. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I watched the documentary one time, and I was by myself, which I found out about halfway through the documentary was a mistake. Yeah. To watch it by myself, and uh, yeah, it hit me pretty fucking hard. Not gonna lie, uh, I had a very I had a very rough uh, first viewing. And then I need. I wanted to watch it again. Needed to watch it again. I'm honestly probably gonna watch it again, because I'm, this is what my research is revolving around. And I asked my understand my very kind understanding wife to uh, sit through it with me a second time, to uh, make it a little bit easier on myself. 
And honestly, I wanted to know more about it anyway, so I was more than willing to say it wasn't like I did it out of like whatever. I did it also because I wanted to educate myself a little bit. Well, I mean, watching it, the, watching it through the first time, there was a point where about like maybe halfway through or three quarters of the way through the documentary where I had to just like stop it and just like sit there for a minute. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm not afraid to admit I cried a little bit. So yeah. Well, I mean, even we stopped it when I watched it, but for me, it was. Um, well, I felt like when we when I stopped it when we were both watching it, that was more to like explain. Yeah, I needed you some, more. I needed some, some more context. context. Yeah, I needed more context, but also the guy fell off the plane. That was really hard for me to see. It was it was multiple guys. <laughs> well, I I'm aware, but I'm just saying like. And honestly, it was, I've I have mixed feelings about them because that was honestly kind of fucking dumb. Well, it was obviously stupid, and I don't know what would make them think that that would work. But at the same time, it's also very sad. Yeah, Some of the guys that did that hung on to the side of the aircraft, I mean, that was pure desperation. They they wanted to get out of Afghanistan yeah. that badly. Some of them were just fucking thrill seekers. The guys that were desperate to get out of the country, I feel bad for. Yeah. The guys that were just doing it because they thought it was cool... Or they just like, oh, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go to America. Or I'm going to go to Europe. And I'm yeah. going to experience all these new things. And I completely different life. So I, all right. I, I feel less bad for them. Well, regardless, people lost their lives. Yeah. By, I mean, I, I, feel like, I feel like regardless, thrill seeker or not, they were all very desperate to get out. And I feel like even if you were just like thrill seeking in the moment, it was fueled by desperation because you need they needed to get out of the country there i mean there was no like the people who well, are, were, were left there are in such oppression like i wouldn't want to live there like you know god forbid an american family got stranded there like oh, could you the, imagine oh american families did get stranded there well okay so then they did well i mean like it, it's a terrible thing like there was a congressional investigation uh, I think it was by the Armed Services Committee, or maybe it wasn't the Armed Services Committee, The it was another committee in the Senate, did an investigation. They found that at least 800 Americans were left in Afghanistan. Oh, yeah, you told me that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, all the talk about, like, oh, we're not going to leave until we get all the Americans out. Yeah, no, that's uh, complete. And then Biden changed that tune. It's like, well, everybody that wanted to get out, we got... Everybody that wanted to get out is out. It's no. like, I nah, mean, motherfucker. That's not even how it was. People who want people who wanted to get out but didn't have like the proper paperwork still weren't able to get out. So it's like you can't even really say that. They weren't even helping people who literally couldn't leave. Like there could have been something done to where like they could have just like been like, Okay, you don't have your papers. You know what? F it. We'll just take you anyway. Like, I don't understand why they couldn't have let them leave. It doesn't even make sense. It's a sketchy country, and there's a lot of sketchy, peach, there's a lot of sketchy people in that country, especially in the closing days of the conflict. I still so you feel don't like wanna, that's wrong. So you don't want to just accept people in and then ship them somewhere to where they could potentially do some harms. Like, talking, especially going through the interviews with all these dudes. I'm going to say something. I want to say something so stupid that I feel like I'll get, like, flacked for, but I don't even care. Mexicans come over here all the time without identification. All the effing time. So I feel like there's no, I feel like there's no excuse 
to have left people in that country who didn't want to be there. If we do it in our own country, why couldn't we have done it for them? I just don't, to me, there's just, there's just no excuse. Yeah, honestly, especially if you consider the, uh, the, the 20 terrorists that uh, crossed into the United States before 9-11. Uh, even more of a reason! Came through uh, the Canadian border, I'm pretty sure. It doesn't even matter what <laughs> came border through, they came in Came through from. the Canadian border. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, <laughs> beside the point. I don't anyway, even... <laughs> just uh, talking to interviews of these dudes, like, no, there were people that wanted to get out, that had papers, that could get, well... Uh, even just talking about like, the, sc- the screen people was like, oh, why don't we just like take everybody that comes in? Uh, talking to a couple of the guys, they were straight up Taliban infiltrating the airport whenever the fuck they wanted. Okay, well, those people I feel like you could identify. No, 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 no. Really? No. How? When there's that many fucking people and most of them well, pretty much all they, look the same. How did they know that Taliban was there then? Because they would come in. And then they would leave? They would walk around the airport looking all sus and shit. And then they would just fucking walk out. They would get. Oh, they would, that is creepy. Yeah, that is, that is. and then they would see him again, and then they would see him again later, just fucking hanging out with an AK, right, outside in the fucking crowd or like down the fucking street or some okay, shit. Let's be real though, the Taliban did not have to be as wild as they were during that whole thing though. Well, they neither did been, neither could, did the fucking A and A, but A and A got straight fucking the gangster. The A and A didn't. The A and A is just dumb. Okay, and. <laughs> First of all, the Taliban didn't have to be at the airport. They could have let everything just go really nice and smooth. They didn't have to be there. They, they were taking over town. the country. I know. I know they were taking over the country. But my point is, they could have left well enough alone until the designated date and time that everyone was supposed to be out of there. They didn't have to be at the airport the entire time is my point. They. The only reason... The only thing that would have kept the Taliban away from the airport is if an actual security presence was established outside of the airport, preferably around the city of Kabul, which didn't fucking happen. Okay, right. (laughs) And that was because of the lack of people who got sent there. But also, the Taliban had personnel stationed throughout the whole town who was denying people to go places. And they were taking people's fucking paperwork. Yes, they were. (laughs) They were literally stealing people's, like, identification papers so they couldn't fucking leave the country. So, like, they were part of the problem! They, okay. They don't want people to leave the country, though. They're trying to They're trying to keep people there, because if everybody just fucking leaves, they're not going to have a country anymore. <laughs> I know, I know. Which, again, I have said this before. It's so fucking ironic. The Taliban comes into this country, the entire fucking country tries to flee, and they still <laughs> want the damn country! Like, can't you see these people don't want you there? Like, what the hell? Like, obviously something you're doing is wrong, so fucking fix it! Check yourself before you break yourself! They broke that whole fucking country! That whole country is down the drain! There is no saving that country anymore! There wasn't even any saving that country even when we were there. I'm not saying that there was, but I'm saying they were a little better off having Americans there rather than the Taliban, yeah? Some people were better off. Okay, well, okay, fine. I've done a lot of, I've done a pretty good amount of research. Some people were better off. Some people were, they, what, de- they definitely weren't, the same? they definitely weren't worse off, but some people were just kind of the same. Okay, well, that's better than where they are right now. Some of them haven't even had food in forever. No, the country, the whole, the country's in a famine right now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, the, again, <laughs> no food in forever. And the women aren't even allowed to leave their fucking homes. Without, They're not allowed to work. They're not allowed to do shit. 
which is according to their the Taliban's uh, the uh, Deobandi Sunni Islam uh, their interpretation of the Quran. Okay, yes, but the people there don't all the people there don't all agree with that way of living. That has No, been, they don't. Well, that again, that's my whole point. You invade a country, you're taking over a country. All of those people in that country don't like the way you're running things. So they attempt to leave. You attempt to stop those people from leaving. Some people get out, some people can't get out because you're forcing them to stay. And then the whole country's in a fucking famine and you're telling people how to live their life and before they got there, they could do whatever, you know, within reason that they wanted. So it's like you can't just like give people freedom and then force them to have no freedom. It doesn't work like that. It becomes chaos. You can't do that's like that would be like fucking Hitler coming to the United States and being bitch, I'm taking over. Guess what? None of you guys have any more rights. There would be fucking war. Okay? Like, it would just be like a fucking slaughterhouse. Like, people nowadays with all these, like, crazy people out there right now, all these pronouns and bullshit and everything like that. Calm down. People would... You're getting into dangerous territory. Okay, well, that's what I want to say. People would not stand for it, is my point. People would not stand for it. And those poor people over there can't do anything about it. They have no means. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, like, sad. Like, how could you not see that, like, the way you're forcing people to live is doing more harm than good, and you think you're doing good, but you're not. Clearly. Like, go take a fucking survey or something. I don't know. Do a census. How many people were there before and now after? I bet it's, like, a quarter of what was there. I have to look at the numbers again and see what the population of Afghanistan was. But whatever the population, I think it was uh, it was less than 10 million, I'm pretty sure. I have to look again. And then during the pullout, during the uh, the uh, NEO operation, the uh, non-combatant evacuation operation, uh-huh. which is kind of, it's like the, that's the official military terminology to use for it. Okay. It's, a, it's called a NEO. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I think that was in your paper. Yeah. And uh, uh, about 120, 125,000 uh, people got out. Yeah. Which, I mean, in, in like how many days? Actually, I want to do math on that. Hold on one second. Whoa, 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 whoa. 17 days. Okay, how many people got out? About, roughly? Uh, between 120, 125,000. 125. Uh, Is that right? Did I do that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, and then how many days? 17 days. You want to know how many people that is per day? How many? It's roughly 7,353. Yeah. That's well, a well, damn... for like the, well, for like the first week, there was barely any, there was only like a few hundred, there was only like a, less than a thousand people a day getting out in the first Okay, like, so week. really, let's say in the first couple of days, so let's, let's take three days off of that. We'll definitely take three days off of it because uh, uh, troops inserted on the 13th. Try and set up a somewhat perimeter, but it was yeah. only about like 100, 150 dudes. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so they inserted on the 13th. Taliban surrounds Kabul on the 14th, uh, takes the city on the 15th. Is that and, when everyone started heading to the airport on the 15th? And then the, the 15th and the 16th is when everything went to shit. Okay. And then uh, on the 17th is when the rest of the guys, especially a lot of the guys that I've talked to, that's when, that's when they started getting there. Okay, so... 
So instead of 17, should we do like 12? That's five days. So 13, subtract 14, like, 15. Well, so just subtract, no, 13, like, say, like four days. 13, 14, 15, and then 16, because you said that was 15 and 16 is when the shit went down. So really, stuff didn't really start happening until the 17th. So that's the fifth day they were there. Well, even then, like, 17th was around just like reorganizing and kind of trying to establish a firmer perimeter. I want to do 12. I'm going to do 12. So okay, if we did if we did that number divided by twelve. I mean, I have in in my outline. I have the actual by day numbers. No, I know, I know, but I'm <laughs> I just don't saying, have it on me at the I'm moment. I'm just saying for for just just to get an idea, it that would be ten thousand four hundred and sixteen people a day. That's a that's a lot of fucking people. Like, do you think that like how many people does Disney World see in a day? You think more than that. Well, more than 10,000, but, like, I'm saying in, in like, regards to the 125,000. I don't know. Just, like, wondering if I've ever been surrounded by that many people before. Because they were there, like... Uh, no. You don't think I've ever been surrounded by 125,000 people? At one time, no. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think I could ever imagine that. Because most of those people stayed at the airport for days trying to get out. The The people who ended up going back into town ended up being, like, just stayed, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, some of the people in that in that documentary, they didn't even, some of them didn't even make it out. And they just, they just ended up staying. Well, those people probably lived in Kabul to begin with. Well, yeah, they did. But, like, you know, what I'm saying is, like, I, I don't think I could ever imagine being surrounded by... And, and this is also in tight quarters as well. Those gates were not just, like, out in the open, especially Abbey Gate. So, very tight quarters. That's just insane. Anyway. I mean, all the gates were like that. North Gate, I know, East Gate, I know, Abbey I know, Gate. I know. I'm just saying, like, just, you know, that's just crazy. Anyway... Yeah, so I've been I've been doing that oral history stuff, and uh, I've talked to ten dudes so far. Uh, all great fucking interviews. Uh, a lot of great information, a lot of great stories, especially some stuff that uh, I'm not exactly sure what word to use. Or <laughs> the word in my head right now is kind of raunchy, like uh, some information that if I can corroborate it. If I can try and prove it, I'm not saying I don't believe the guy that told me, I'm I'm inclined to, but I can't scholarly speaking. I can't just like go out and say hey, this is a hard fact. I can't do that. Yeah, you have to have uh, you have to have information to back it. Yeah, so I have to, if I can some of the stuff that he told me, if I can find a way to prove that definitively, it's pretty fucking damning. So yeah. Anyway, yeah, some very interesting stuff. Oh, sorry. What? I don't know. I feel like we have to cut my rant out a little bit. I got a little heated. I got heated, guys. I'm sorry. <coughs> Excuse me. I just, like, feel for those people so badly. Like, it just sucks that, like, we went over there and we really weren't able to help them. I mean, honestly, like, not trying to give the bad guys a win, but... In a way, they kind of did win. No, it's it's so it's undeniable that it it was their victory. Yeah, so it's just <laughs> that's, like that's the way they see it, and honestly, it's hard to it, argue with it. Y- yeah, so it's just I just feel bad for those people, and I wish that 
I like, you know, I wish things could have been different. Obviously, who am I? I'm just like one little civilian that lives in Louisiana. No big deal. But my heart feels for those people and I would be denying like my whole character if I didn't get angry on their behalf in some way. Like I said before, I'm kind of just an emotional person by nature. So I get a little heated and emotional about stuff that's just like unfair and unjust, really. I don't even know if I want to use those terms, but yeah, I just feel for those people and I wish that they could have, you know, I wish they could have better. Like, you know, America's not perfect by any means, but... It's a hell of a lot better than just about everywhere else. <laughs> yeah, so it's... It just sucks that, like, unfortunately, not everyone gets the opportunity to live the way we do. And um, and for them, there's just no... There, there's just, like, nowhere to go. Like, I, I mean, I throw out the comparison with, like, um, you know... Mexican people coming over here and it's like that's because they want they want the opportunities over here which is understandable and I get that but I'm also one of those people who's like we'll do it the right way do it you know the right way get you know become a citizen if you're gonna live here I don't want you to just be here because you crossed a border like you know do it the right way anyway that's beside the point I still feel for those people I wish that they could live in a better country that was more understanding, more tolerant of the way people want to live. And I, it's just very, very sad. It's very sad that they have to live the way that they do. I know, I mean, you know what's sad is like, I feel like, I feel like even if they wanted to leave, I feel like they would be blocked somehow. I don't know if that's how it is over there right now. I feel like it'd be easier for them now to leave than, uh, than when, when it first happened than when it first happened when the taliban first took power i feel like well honestly i don't know i feel like the taliban has uh more and more solidified their control over the country but at the same time they're still dealing with a lot and a lot and a lot of internal issues and it's still going to be a few years before they can actually have it's like stable assuming some other kind of civil war doesn't break out yeah which is what ha- is what happened the first time yeah it hasn't it 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 almost did. There was a resist. There was a act, uh, active uh, militant uh, resistance movement towards the Taliban in the Panjshir Valley. Uh, to my knowledge, that's pretty much gone now. The Taliban took care of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just and, uh, I was just thinking about your earlier statement. How you said like they if the people left there wouldn't be a country for them to take over so like in my head i'm like okay so they still want this country they have to stop the people from leaving because like you said if they don't have people they don't really have a country to rule yeah it's like they they want the people to stay because the way they see it it's kind of like it's almost like i don't know if i should make this comparison or not but it's almost like evangelical christians on a missionary trip you don't see it as imposing your way of life, your way of thinking on other people. You see it as you're going here and you're saving these people from themselves if necessary. That's the way they see it. That's the way they interpret Islam. You mm-hmm. know? It's just such a like... And it's just that they have a very hardcore, conservative yeah. Islamic belief. Well, it's just sad that the people who don't... Like, I almost... like. Which, I, don't, I feel like in, in saying that, 
uh, I do have to say, uh, researching the Taliban and stuff like that, a lot of their beliefs are, a lot of their beliefs are uh, kind of frowned upon in the wider Muslim community, and uh, even their interpretations of the Quran are criticized by uh, other Muslim scholars as for being like not a very good, uh, not a very good philosophical, intellectual interpretation. Mm-hmm of uh of the quran so yeah it's not like they're completely isolated but at the same time it's not like you have a bunch of like radical conservative muslims in the taliban in in afghanistan it's by no means reflective on other parts of the uh the muslim world mm-hmm. not that other parts of the muslim world don't have problems of their own definitely do but uh, it's not like you can just like take the Taliban and like what they do and the way they believe and also that and transplant it on the rest of the Muslim world, the uh, the the, the Oma, as they call it, and in the one the water world and especially in like the Middle East, like Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Jordan, uh, Egypt, all that kind of those places. You know what's interesting is like you know there's like so many different. I guess, like, forms of, like, Christianity. Like, do they not do that, like, Muslim-wise? Like, in their no, they, there's they, no different... There's no, like... No, they're, they're under one religion, but, like, everyone believes something a little different. No, there's a bunch of different sects uh, in Islam, just as there is in Christianity, and just as there is, honestly, in Judaism. Yeah. And, uh, actually, when I was researching... Uh, I was doing some research on the uh, Al-Qaeda, mo- Al-Qaeda movement with uh, Osama bin Laden and uh, Ayman al-Zawahiri. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the guys who, uh, the group that was responsible for 9-11 and all that kind of stuff, the mm-hmm. big terrorist organization that uh, was, supposed to be, was supposed to be enemy number one for the United States in the beginning of the war on terror, but kind of lost sight of that <laughs> after like the first month. <laughs> but that's a whole nother thing. Why does everyone lose sight of like what they do? When uh, that's, that's a whole nother thing I'm not going to get into right now. But, but yeah, get, in, in their... Their interpret uh, in Al Qaeda's interpretation of Islam, which is different from the Taliban's, it's a uh, Salafism, uh, Salaf, uh, Salafi uh, Sunni Islam, and uh, in their belief is that as there were, I forget exactly how many sects they said it was like. Uh, so the number I'm about to say is, I think, is wrong. So they said it was like, okay, all right, Judaism. There's 23 different sects of Judaism. Uh, in Christianity, there's 24 different sects of Christianity. And then in Islam, there's 25 different sects of Islam. And uh, the Salafis specifically believe that, it well, it's said in the Quran, according to them, that all of the sects will perish, except for one which will be raised up to live, to uh, be with God in his glory forever. And in, Salaf- in the Salafis believe that it's it's, it's their sect that's going to be saved that's why they're so conservative and hardcore yeah is well, that like their justification basically it's their justification and it's also their they believe very strongly in what it, what in islam is called the hadith the hadiths which is kind of like the traditions established mm-hmm. so they believe in living living like the ancestors like mm-hmm. the of the early islamic days 
in like the days of the prophet mm -hmm. and try to emulate their lives and the and the life of the prophet as accurately and as closely as possible and that is the way to live uh, a righteous life so it's basically like say a group of christians interpret the bible as literally as possible mm -hmm. and try to emulate the life of christ as closely as possible it's more or less the same thing gotcha so if you want a comparison that's what i know some people would have an issue with that especially some conservative christians have an issue with that but it, it in my opinion it is comparable no i could see how you could i could see how you can make some comparisons for sure it's like if you got with like a bunch of uh really conservative orthodox jews and they emulate like okay we all have to live like moses and his people did or like how abraham and his people did yeah well probably not abraham because most of the people in abraham's day were uh pagan uh, non-believers I mean, yeah, I'm right about that, right? Abraham was kind of like an anomaly, believing in the one true God. Um, I mean, Abraham was kind of like a pastor to his family. Well, it was like Abraham and his family, but then they were kind of like isolated from the rest oh, of the Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, if you're, yeah, yeah. I, like, I thought so you were talking so, about everyone. I no, was so, like, probably, um, so probably more... He had his own group of like... So let's say that like, like, or, like a conservative Orthodox... Orthodox Jews believe that oh you had to live as Moses did and the Hebrews did mm -hmm. in the uh, the early days before the founding of uh, Israel and Judah. That that's what I would compare it to. I don't know why, but like I want to make a comparison somehow with like Amish people versus like norm like regular people. Uh, no, well, I don't I don't know what Amish they're, they're, people believe in, but I just keep thinking about how like they live very organically and we. Well, don't. the Amish believe like modern technology and the way the world is now uh, corrupts the body and the soul. Yeah. Which, honestly, I'm not gonna. I'm not really gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna really disagree with them on that. Yeah. So they live. Uh, with as little as possible yeah. so they can focus on their faith and living a, a good life as they see it. Gotcha. Generally speaking, I, mean, yeah, I, don't yeah. know, I don't personally know any Amish people, but what I understand about their culture and their faith and the way they interpret uh, uh, their beliefs, that that's... I know I'm not completely wrong, but I'm sure I'm not 100% right either. So if any Amish people are listening, which I doubt you are... <laughs> but if you are, you should <laughs> drop us a line and... Uh, give us a heads up, educate us a little bit. We would love to hear what you have to say. Yeah, uh, way too long of a story, short. Uh, yeah, I'm doing oral history about the, the Afghan pullout. And uh, I'm trying to get, it's going to be, as of right now, it's my thesis to get me out of school. And But I have every intention of pursuing it well beyond that and trying to talk to as many people as I can, get as many interviews as I can, and build at the very least, some kind of database that historians in the future can use to actually listen to the stories of the people who were there. Because it honestly, when I started getting into it, like, nobody's talking to these dudes. No. Nobody's fucking talking to them. You know, I, I just had this thought. How, okay, so we live in Louisiana, right? We live close to New Orleans. In New Orleans, um, there's the D-Day Museum or the World War II Museum. And um, it's awesome if you're ever in New Orleans. It is a must-see. It is like top, it's like one of the most top-rated museums in the world or something like that. Or at least in the United States. It's one It's one of the best museums in the in the country, yeah. Yeah, and um, it, it's phenomenal. I mean, I've been to 
a lot of museums. It's it's an awesome museum. We've we've gone there multiple times. We we live here. Like there's a reason we keep going back. But there are people. It's it's funny because for the big the big wars like World War Two and everything that went down during there. There's plenty of oral histories to cover all that because people don't want to forget what happened. But for like these small things that happen, which are honestly they're big in their own right. You know, like, like what went down over there was on a very, very large and intense scale. And it, it was downplayed in every possible way, which is such a shame. Because when he, I mean, when, when Christopher was talking about doing that, I didn't know much about it. Like, I'll be perfectly honest, I had to ask him about it. And that's why I was okay with watching the documentary, because I really was very ignorant, didn't really know what's going on. Again, I'm not I'm not one to really pay 100% attention to politics and everything that's going on and, and you know, why our soldiers were really over there and all that stuff like that. So I had to do a little bit of education, like educating myself. But I think it's very sad when it's stuff like this, it's a major ordeal and no one talks to these soldiers and 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 like grasps the it's like it's like you know you don't really understand until you hear it firsthand and even then you don't fully understand it like you because you weren't there you can't fully grasp it in my opinion but you can have an inkling by getting the firsthand account of it and I think that's what's so great about about like Christopher switching his topic is because I've learned a lot. I've learned how to not take uh, like and and this is just because like my sister was in the National Guard before Christopher even got into the Marines. But um, I have mad respect for people who serve and knowing and hearing these stories, my respect has gone through like the roof. Like. These people truly don't have to be there for us. They volunteer to do this shit. And it's such a shame that it's downplayed in every possible way. And that to only find out the truth is by talking to these people. And people just don't reach out. Like, it, it's it's really a shame that what there's only two books currently written about the pullout. There, there there's, uh, there's a few now, actually. I looked at... There's a couple I, more now. There's a couple more now that I need that I need to get and I need to read. Yeah, well, in the in the beginning when he first switched, there were two, I guess you could say, prominent books about the pullout, and even those books you told me don't cover half of the crap that happened. Well, the big thing is that they're not scholar the at least for the my career field, and uh, my academic uh, field, they're not scholarly in any way, shape, or form. But there was. Uh, one was basically mostly kind of a rant the whole time. I don't necessarily disagree with a lot of what the guy was saying, but it's, it's just like a pre the presentation more or less that I disagree with. And uh, which, I don't know, I'm not even really tempted to say that, but it, it is what it is. And uh, another one that I read that actually I enjoyed, but it was, uh, I don't know, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was good for the most part. I mean, I don't, I didn't agree with everything that was in it. But it was still pretty good, and uh, yeah, that one I do remember the title of, and I can give that one a shout out if uh, if you can get your hands on a. It's called the Fifth Act. Uh, I think the subtitle is like the end 
of America's war in Afghanistan or something like that. And uh, it's written by a guy named Elliot Ackerman. And uh, he was a Marine vet since, like, early days in... Uh, I'm not sure if he was in before or after 9-11, but it was in the early days of the uh, war on terror. Uh, fought in Fallujah in 04. Uh, joined MARSOC. Uh, was a contractor with the CIA. And uh, the whole fucking nine, and I uh, spent a good bit of his a uh, good bit of his life over there in Afghanistan. Uh, honestly, he's a very good writer. He's got a lot of other books to his name, but uh, the Fifth Act, which I think came out in August this past year, in twenty twenty two, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, there's some nice philosophical and uh, intellectual insights and uh, emotional insights, which uh, I've already used one of his quotes in uh, just writing the uh, preface. For my thesis, and I'm probably I'm probably gonna use more. So uh, yeah, but yeah, there hasn't been a lot written, and just like like I said, people just aren't talking to these dudes. Like I go and I reach out to a few that I the few that I can so far, and it's just like yeah, nothing's really been said or done to this point. <laughs> and Which it's again, just it's it's just really sad. like you would think someone would want like you would think so like okay. After making such a big deal of us being over there, you would think everyone would want to know, okay, how how was it? Like, technically, it's finally over. How how did that go? But, like, it, it's like it, it got blown on. It was, like, just swept under the rug. Like, it was no big deal. But, like, so much happened over there. And for, like, the families who either knew or didn't know that, you know, their loved one was over there going through all of that. I mean, it's terrible. It's so terrible. It's such an injustice to y'all. And just, and it's like when I talked to dudes and like one of them I talked to who came home and uh, got to go home on post-deployment leave and uh, be with his friends and his family. And he's like, yeah, I just got back from Afghanistan. I was in Kabul. And the response is, okay, cool. Or worse, like, what's that? Right. That's what I'm saying. But that's just, I mean, we've been there for 20 years. I mean, the United States has avoided uh, what's called war, war exhaustion pretty easily for several reasons. In the, in the 20 years we've been at war, but we've... but. The American populace as a whole has become very apathetic towards the whole thing. And, uh, I mean, that's not something I would want to hear. Coming back, it's like, I just went through all this and nobody gives a fuck. I mean, you don't do it because you want people to give a fuck. You do it because any number of reasons. You do it because you feel it's the right thing to do. You do it for a paycheck. And honestly, regardless of anything, like once you're actually over somewhere and you're in the shit, you're doing it for your boys or your girls. If uh, Shout out to any uh, female Marines or female soldiers out there. Like you do it for the people next to you. You don't give a fuck about anything else at that point. Not that anything else matters really. But at the same time, it's just like, you, you're the people that send them over there. And then it's just like, you're all gung-ho about doing it. 
and then they come back and it's like no fucks given, you know? And it's just like, why are in the past 20 years of war, why are over 7,000 of my brothers and sisters dead? Why are why have more than 30,000 and counting committed suicide? Why are tens of thousands maimed and have their lives completely changed? You know? That's what's so, like, effed up about the whole thing. And then you have guys that... I mean, the fact that people aren't talking... I mean, there's some guys that just don't want to talk. And you know what? That's that's fine. But hope well, hope to God there's somebody there that when they do want to talk, there's somebody there that's fucking... Want, that's that's going to listen. And honestly, if no one else is willing to be that person, I want to fucking be that person. I, I really fucking do. I mean, after, like, the first interview or two, I'm like, this ain't about just a fucking school project or trying to make a fucking database, something like that. Like... Motherfucker, these guys just need someone they can trust to fucking listen to. And a lot of them don't fucking have that. And there's some guys that take it well enough, fine, and are kind of apathetic about the whole thing, which is fine, good on you. I'm glad you can move on from it because it was a shit situation. I'm glad you can move on with your life because you should be able to move on with your life because... You can't have your entire life revolve around one event. It's going to drive you fucking insane. But for the guys that don't have that, it can't do that. It's fucking destroying dudes. It really is. I mean, there was a story like I heard about those one lieutenant who basically went fucking insane because of all the shit he experienced over there. And he actually fucking went AWOL for a while, which mm-hmm. you never fucking hear a story about a fucking lieutenant going AWOL. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really fucking rare. <clears throat> And then, uh, and then we're losing dudes, like just uh, just last month we lost a. I mean, I, I feel I don't know how I feel about saying we because I didn't know the guy personally, but we we, we lost it. We lost a dude last month. Uh, just. He was there, right? Yeah, he, he was, yeah, he yeah. was there. He went through the whole fucking thing. They got, a lot of the guys that I talked to knew him. And he just... I don't know. One, like one, The guy I interviewed most recently... Uh, so, yeah, he, I talked to him like three days... I talked to him, and then like three days later, I got a call from his sister, and that was... That was it. Lance Corporal Whitley. Yeah, I can say his name. Because this is part of... He's a part of this story, and this is a part of his legacy. And I mean, he deserves to have his name said. So yeah, I can say his name. Just some fucking kid. Did the best of what he had available to him. With the guys around him that probably more brothers to him than 
he ever fucking had. And probably the worst part of these dudes is like they come home and then they, uh, I mean, some guys get to stay in the same year. They get to stay close with other dudes, but then some guys get separated and it's when you start getting separated from your boys, the guys you trust that you know you can talk to about just about fucking anything. That's when things start getting dark. And when you listen to these stories and you got dudes like who had to turn people away who were fucking crying, begging for their fucking lives. And people who had like just fight desperate people because that's what they had to do. I mean, they're punching them, kicking them, and like, you don't want to do it, but you have to do it because you have to maintain some kind of order. If, like, if you can't maintain some kind of order, then nobody's getting out. And then dudes who have, like, fucking babies die in their fucking arms. And then guys who knew uh, Sergeant Nicole G., it was one of the one of the Marines killed on the twenty sixth. One of the guys I talked to was like one of the last people to actually like sit down and have a conversation with her that morning at Eastgate. And she said, like, alright, well, I'm off to going off to Abbeygate to uh, do my job. And then uh Around 5 o'clock that day is when uh, the bomb went off. And that was that. I'm not going to say like dudes need help or anything like that. but Dudes just need somebody to give a fuck. Because for the most part so far. Nobody's gave a fuck. I mean, yeah, just nobody's giving a fuck. Sorry, I know they kind of got a little, you know. <laughs> what? What? Nothing. I just, it's hard to like follow that up because it's such a like, it's such a sobering, it's so sobering to hear all of that. And it's, I don't want to just like jump into another topic because I feel like that's taking away from how serious the situation really is. And it's, it's not, you know, it's not something that should be shaken off so lightly, in my opinion. I mean, I, I think like from our conversations that we've had about you know, what goes on in the interviews is I still stand by, like, at, like, whether or not everyone has offered someone to talk to when they come back from a deployment, I don't think that enough is being done. I know some guys, like you said, can kind of, like, it's like a switch. They kind of turn it on and off, and 
um, you know, that's good to, like, cope for in the moment. But, I mean, those events did happen. And at one point, it might come to the surface and it, it could shock you with how much emotion it'll bring to you. And I just feel like it's important to talk to someone, if not, like, a professional, someone that, like you said, that you trust. And it's really sad that, like, the one guy, when he came home, and no one cared. It's like, I'm sorry, but, like, even if I, like, if I had one loved one who I know is just overseas and not in America, it terrifies me. My sister was deployed for, like, a whole, like, a whole year. I think it was, like, nine or ten months. But, like, it was a year in total just because of, like, processing and everything to get over there and when she came back the whole you know paperwork and everything that so she could come home but it's just like the whole time all I could think about was like I hope to god she's not in like a hot zone or whatever you guys call it like a danger zone if you will like combat area okay a combat area which which she was when she was deployed right and (laughs) but it's like you 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 guys are only allowed to say so much because it's a security risk, you know? Like, you can't risk anyone posting anything on Facebook or any kind of social media because people will just do that nowadays and not think about how some enemy could be on there scoping, you know, information out. But anyway, beside the point, you guys have to be very careful with what you're willing to share with people or what you can share with people. And... That makes it even more serious, in my opinion. Like, if if you're going, if you're going to be part of any kind of service, family, and you and you know that there are going to be times when that person cannot tell you what they're doing, and sometimes you just think the worst, and you just have to hope and pray that they're going to be okay, and they're going to come back, and they're going to be unharmed. But that doesn't mean that there's not like a mental toll on them. And I don't think people realize that. Like like my sister, she kind of changed a little bit even when she came back from like boot camp. And you know, there was training instilled in her and you know, part of that training was like, you know, I'm sure there's like a mental aspect like any training for any service. And she changed a little bit as a person. And I'm not saying in a bad way, but you could tell it was like her thinking of, of things was a little different. And I mean, that's just part of the job. But it still takes a toll on you. And I feel like there has to be some kind of mandatory like, okay, for like the first month you're back, you got to go to like one, a one, day, one day, once a week session with someone just to like make you know just to like give someone the opportunity to talk if they're if they don't want to talk cool they could even bring family with them i mean maybe just to air some stuff out you know like it doesn't have to be like a super serious conversation in the beginning it could just be something relaxing like how are you adjusting to being back home like is everything okay at home you know it doesn't have to be like okay well let's get down to the nitty-gritty and talk about what you did over there like, no, because that's personal, right? That's, like you said, that's between you and your boys, and you, what you do over there is to protect your boys, not necessarily the people back home. So it's kind of funny because, like, sometimes in my head I almost see it as, like, like, obviously there are rules and, like, 
and things set in place for you guys. But in in my head, it's kind of like, okay, America's like home base. There are very strict rules over here. But then when you get put over somewhere else in another country, the rules are definitely a little bit more lax. The days of coal. And I mean, sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Like. Well, right, I know. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not saying like it's it's not like 24 seven like lax, but like I feel like I feel like in a dire situation, f the rules. I'm saving my boys. Like whatever happens is gonna have to happen to make this work, so we can get out, so we can all go back home to home base in one piece. And it's just like, you know. It, it's like the responsibility of just having like your boys' life in your hands is a lot too. It's not just your life. It's, you know, it's the men and women who fight next to you. And I just don't feel like there's enough being done for when you guys get back home. I feel like someone, I feel like it should be, it should be a mandatory thing to talk to someone whether that be like a counselor or a pastor or a psychiatrist or something, just to make sure you're okay in the beginning. And honestly, like, I mean, I've, I've done like therapy just talking to a regular counselor and it can be, it can be like really soothing and, and like helpful and healing. And I only went like a handful of times. So it's like, you don't have to go a multitude of times for it to make an impact on you. You know, it could be like that one time, but, and you know, like it, cause like it could be really healing for like, if it's just like a wife or a wife and a kid or something like that, you know, and they want to go with them to the sessions, it could just be very healing for the whole family in general. I mean, shit, I know if, if, if you were to still been in and you were there, I would be freaking out on a daily basis. So... I mean, the whole time you were in, we weren't even married. We were engaged for half of it. But, like, you know, we weren't... I didn't have any legal obligation to really know where you were or what you were doing. Your parents got all that right. I didn't get anything. I couldn't be part of any of the Marines' wives' pages or any of the Marine information when you were deployed or anything. All the information I got was from your mom. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, it would have freaked me out because I wouldn't have known anything. I would have been really, really scared for you all the time. Just, you know, praying that you would get back in one piece. But it just, it sucks that y'all are like, it's like you do your mission, you come back home, and then like you as a person... Is, it's just an afterthought. They don't care about you after that. Okay, cool. We used you. Go back to doing your normal thing. And, like, we'll call you back in when we need you. Basically. And, I mean, again, you guys volunteer for it. But that doesn't mean you guys aren't human. And y'all deserve to be treated with the utmost respect, in my opinion. But you're not, which is beyond me. Really, it comes down to something I talked about when I was writing my preface that uh, you read. 
which uh, stems from kind of like that little epiphany that I had in the, that rant that I gave you that one night before I went to bed. Yeah. When I had to like turn the lights on and write something down real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you remember that. Are you talking about the part, the part that I told you I really liked the, um, yeah. what is it called? The, um, the preface. No, the, what, the, the bit that you're talking about in the preface. Oh, yeah, I talked about uh, dehumanization. Yeah, dehumanization. Which is something that I feel like it's attributed a lot to uh, a lot to the military. I mean, dehumanizing your enemy, uh, making it easier for you to engage them and, well, do your job, which is kill them. And uh, that gets attributed a lot to the military, like infantry and all that. But... I mean, even like guys I've talked to, combat vets and stuff like that, or guys who've been over there and things like that. I mean, I, I can't speak to the experience myself because I never got to do that. And uh, yeah, I don't see dehumanization as for the people that the majority of people say do it. Like, I don't think soldiers, Marines, et cetera, et cetera, dehumanize that much. Maybe it's easier for like fucking Air Force and pilots and stuff like that. Navy mm-hmm. pilots and like people who are drones and well, drones and shit like that. I don't know. But it's like, you know what you're doing. And you know when you pull that trigger and send rounds down range that you're, you're taking a human life. And you're making, and you know full well that you're making decisions over there that mean life and death, even if you're not actually actively like fucking shooting somebody or blowing somebody up or something like that. You know, decisions that you're making for the people around you mean life and death. And uh, I've had that uh, said to me more than a few times in doing these interviews. It's like, guys recognize this. Like, yeah, I, I, I let these people in or I had to turn these people away. And you know that if you let somebody in, then they're probably going to live. And if you turn somebody away, well, there's a fair chance that they're going to fucking die. You know? Mm-hmm. So, the dehumanization isn't on the soldiers and Marines, etc. I think the dehumanization is more on the people that are so fucking separated from everything that's going on. And they're so guilty. Of, well, I don't want to use the word guilty because I don't want to make this sound like an accusation. It's just that they're, they do it so much that not only are the adversaries dehumanized, but even the people who are, I mean, fighting for them are also dehumanized. You just, they, people, they just don't want to think about it at all. They just don't want to think about it at all. I mean, really, if people thought about it for a minute, that they're sending guys and young men and women over there to kill on their behalf, to get blown up on their behalf, to die on their behalf, especially and honestly, the weak fucking society we have today, a lot of people just lose their fucking minds. But people just don't fucking think about it. And they don't want to think about it. 
not saying they gotta. Well, not saying they gotta think about twenty four seven. I mean, it's not their job. It's not their an immediate concern. I think there should be some kind of awareness of it. And if nothing else comes out of at least the thesis that I'm doing, I'm trying to make people just be aware of that. Just, just, just see these dudes as like the, the young men and some of them like the kids that they are or were really. Because I don't think, yeah, kids went into Kabul. But I don't think any kids came out of it. At the very least, not very many. Going through an event like that, I mean, you don't... You nut the fuck up and you grow the fuck up real quick. And like I said, you make decisions that mean life and death. But you don't really have a choice. That's the thing, there's... You have choices in life, and some a lot of those choices get forced upon you, and it's it's those kind of choices, the ones that get forced upon you, that your decisions make you who you are. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to say this earlier on when we got on this topic, but I could, as far as like the whole thing went down. The planning, and because of the planning, a, a lot of the execution was just fucking, well, really, the, the, the planning was fucking trash. <laughs> it it should have, it should have been, the planning should have been done better, but it wasn't. And there's more, re- and there's plenty of reasons for that, that I'm not going to get into just now, because I've already been going on this for so fucking long, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get into it with the fucking uh, thesis and all that. But as far as the execution, uh, at least the guys on the ground, especially like the guys manning the gates and doing the check-ins and crowd control and all that kind of shit, having to work with an adversary that you've basically been bred for the last 20 years to fucking despise, to fucking hate, and to fucking kill. And honestly, who... They also hate you, despise you, and if they could, they will fucking kill you. And then having so-called allies <laughs> with like the fucking A and A who are uh, uh, the stories that I've heard about them are not very good ones. I'm not gonna go into it right now. But the guys who were over there, and the, the Marines and the soldiers and the corpsmen, Navy personnel who were over there, and uh, other personnel who were over there, doing what you had to do day in, day in, day out, making the decisions that you had to make. It's very fucking commendable. Because not, there was none of that. That was easy. Every minute of every day was fucking hard. I mean, when you have guys that are going days without eating, days without drinking, days without sleep, and having to climb a watchtower, 
not even an actual watchtower, like a fucking makeshift watchtower made out of like con- like Conex boxes or fucking uh, luggage and shit. Waiting, speaking of that, wading through ankle deep, thigh deep piles of fucking trash and human piss and shit and blood. The guys who were over there and did what they uh, had to do and did what they could do are a fucking credit not only to themselves but to the services which they represent and to the country which they represent. I don't want to say that to sound all corny and shit but it's the fucking truth. Simple as that. It was a terrible shit fucked up situation. That they were thrust into, but they did what they could do, and uh, they have, they should feel, even though I'm sure a lot of them don't, they should feel proud of what they could accomplish over there, and what they did accomplish. Yeah. I I'm sorry, I feel bad now. This isn't what we were supposed to talk about at all. No, it's not. It's completely off topic, but it's okay. It was a good talk. I enjoyed this. I feel like for once I did most of the talking. That's okay. I'm sure there, I'm sure you guys are tired of hearing me talk, so. No, I don't think that's true. I mean, I really just, like, earlier I felt like I was going in a circle about the whole, like, they need something when they come back home. I don't know. I, I think the thing is, is, like, I don't think... I don't think everyone who comes back would be open to some kind of ther- like um, therapy session. So it's like I struggle with the idea that that would... Uh, obviously, I don't think it would fix everything, but I struggle to come up with a better solution because I don't know of a better solution because I've never talked to a lot of people who have been deployed. So... Um, figuring out what they would need or what kind of support they would need when they come back home is hard. So I just want to say, like, that's what I was trying to get out earlier. I'm sorry if it sounded like I was talking in a circle. But No, I think I think you were fine. It's the only, like, some guys, as far as, like, talking goes, there's some guys, like I said, that just don't want to talk. And uh, there was uh, one guy I interviewed who... Uh, whom I had known personally when I was in, and uh, I was talking to him, and he told me, I think it was probably about like halfway through the interview, towards the end of the interview, that uh, he told me, it was like, yeah, if, if you tried to like get in touch with me like a month or two ago to like sit down and do this, uh, I would have told you to go fuck off and pound sand. Because mm-hmm. there's... Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Is like it, It's like, obviously, some people wouldn't, wouldn't want to talk about it right off the gate but i think having the option fully open like i feel like it i feel like for you told me that someone mentioned that they were offered to talk to someone right when they got back but i no, wish no there was a few guys that i talked to did confirm i was like okay yeah. when they got back when they left kabul and they got back to kuwait mm-hmm. that uh their command flew people in like counselors and, yeah. and shit from the states to Kuwait to at the very least offer some kind of services to the guys over there yeah. if they want to talk to them, which which I think is good. I, I think, think I think it's it's, good. it's 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 good on the command's part. But I also so. feel like there needs to be a follow up when they're back in the states. Like it's it, 
I just feel. I mean, at least like. I feel like even if the on I feel on, like, on I'm sorry. Go ahead. On the bases, there are facilities which are offered to guys if you want to go and talk to somebody. But a lot of guys just don't want to do that. No, and I get that. And my whole thing is, my whole thing is, is like I feel like it should be more. It's like I don't want to sound like a like a dick, but I feel like it should be shoved up in their faces, like somewhat like wherever y'all work. Or, like, y'all could, like, all get together. Like, if you get together in, like, one area and, like, someone has to tell you something. Like, there's an announcement or something. And then, like, there's a counselor off to the side. And they just make a note. Like, hey, don't forget. We have this person. They live on base. They work here on base. They're here for you. Do not forget that if you feel closed in and you feel like you can't talk to anyone, there is an option. And they're legally not allowed to share the information so it's like the thing is it's like they're only legally allowed to to really say something that they feel like that person might harm themselves like suicide or something like that i'm sure there's other things too but like i don't fully know anything about their like laws as like a psychiatrist or counselor or whatever no you're, but, you're right so far okay well so like my thing is it's like i feel like it should just be more in everyone's face. Like, I feel like it's kind of an afterthought. You know, no one thinks about it because it's really not said enough. But I, f I truly feel like for you guys, because, like, what happens is, like, you guys get back, you experience war, you probably killed someone, and, and like, you're, you're not going to talk about that? Like... Like, and then, like, like say you say you talk about it with a significant other. Well, now, unfortunately, through no fault of their own, that's significant. Or you're, or, like, okay, say if it was me and you. Say you told me that you killed someone. I'm going to understand that you did that for me and for the country. I'm going to know that. But then, out of no fault of your own or my own, a burden is placed on me. Because I now know that you've killed someone. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's like a big ripple effect. If, like, it's not, like, I don't want to say contained, but if it's not, like, taken care of in a way. Like, if I wasn't a stronger person, maybe I would see you in a different light and think that you're not a good person anymore. You know what I'm saying? I, like, think, I, you're, I think you're talking about just sharing the burden with someone you trust. Yeah, well, like, like sharing the burden with someone you trust, but it could it could be damaging to the person you're sharing it to. So I think it's good to have another option. That's what I'm saying. Because it's like I feel like some people wouldn't want to talk to a counselor; they're talk to someone they trust. But then that person that they're putting all that trust into could be burned as well. And I just think it could lead to a really bad ripple effect. So I feel like having it shoved in y'all's face is like, hey, there's a person here you can talk to. Don't forget about that person. It doesn't have to be now. It doesn't have to be a month from now. It could be like a year from now. But this person's available to talk to you when you're, when you're ready and on your terms. I just feel like having that open door could be just like, like, like a breath of fresh air. Like, okay, cool. I know I can go talk to that person if I'm really struggling 
or if I can't wrap my mind around something that happened on deployment or whatever. And instead of having to feel like a terrible person, having to like share that with someone that I love, I could go talk about it with someone else until I can process it and then I can share it with that person. Or something like that. Anyway, I just... I just think that, like, there should be some kind of follow-up. Like, it's nice and all that, like, they they brought people in once they got out of the immediate area. But I feel like once they got back to the States, it should have been re-offered. It should have been reset Because there's only so much you can do. Like, I just feel like if it was said by, like, somewhere higher, someone higher up on the chain, it would be heard instead of just going in through one ear and out the other. You know, for instance, if like my best friend told me I needed to go see a counselor or something, I'd be like, eh, I'm going to listen to what you're saying, but I'm not really going to care. But then like, say like my mom or my dad confronted me, I would take it a little bit more serious than my best friend, to be honest. Because while I know my best friend loves me, my best friend is not around me 24-7. Or lives near me 24-7. You know? If you told me to go talk to someone, 100% would do it. Because, like, you're literally, we live together. We're literally around each other 24-7. I would trust you more. And you're higher up on my scale of people that I trust. Just, like, automatically. You know? Almost kind of like an intervention scenario. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it sounds like you're talking about. Yeah, but I don't want it to come off that way. Well, that's basically what it is, so... It's not. That's what it's called, what it is. I don't want it to be an intervention. Well... I want it to just be like, don't forget about this person. Like, I don't know how else to say it. See, again, I'm talking in circles, right? And that's because I don't know of a better solution. So help me. If you have an idea, email us. I want to know your thoughts. Because I think it... I think, you know, it's worth a shot to get something, to change something. I don't know if it would make a huge difference, but I just feel like more needs to be done for you guys. On that happy note, this was not what we planned on talking about, but we're not going to say what we were going to talk about because we'll just do that for our next podcast. Yeah, we probably will. So we need need an idea for January anyway. So I think that... I think this actually worked out perfectly because we were worried about what we were going to talk about next anyway. Yeah, but anyway, just... So, yeah, that's... I don't know. I I feel bad now because I kind of made the whole thing kind of about my thing. No, you're good. I don't don't know. It was a really good topic. It's a really good topic. Well, it's something that I've... Yeah, I cared about Mm -hmm. it in the beginning. And as I've... Kind of like what I said, as I've talk to more guys i've come to care about that much more especially it's like especially just the guys that i knew personally when i was in like these were dudes who were in my platoon these were dudes that i was responsible for at one point in time these were dudes that i trained yeah and mentored at one point in time Mm -hmm. and then i got out and then they went on to do other things and then the way it worked out just they ended up where they did and they did what they had to do and probably one of my biggest regrets is that i honestly wish i i mean i mean there's no way i would have known it, it, part of me wishes i would have just stayed in and 
And gone with them. And gone with them, yeah. But you can play that what if game all fucking day long and it's never going to lead anywhere good. So that's what that is. And I don't know, but yeah, just. I don't think that was picked up. I hope it wasn't. <laughs> if it was, I hope I can edit it out. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, just. Uh, Uh, if you're, if you're out there and you, you know somebody who was in, I mean, not necessarily, I was going to say like somebody who was over there, not even that, just somebody who's in, who's uh, not having the best of times, or uh, it, it don't matter if you know or not, just fucking, if you know somebody, then just fucking reach out to them and just talk, just bullshit, just, just talk bullshit for however fucking long. And just have a nice fucking conversation. Just talk to dudes and and don't treat them any different. I think I think that too is has been key from what I've heard of um, the interviews that Christopher has been doing is that they're just two guys, and one might be asking questions here and there, and the other one's just telling a story. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the oral histories is. You can be a little casual about it, but like also like you know Christopher said, if if you know someone who's been in and you don't know what they're going through, so give them, you know, give them a little support. Go have a beer, or don't have a beer and just like hang out, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you can physically be there with them, that's best, but. Just a simple phone conversation or fucking FaceTime or whatever. Or shit, even a text just to be like, hey, dude, like, just thinking about you. You know, yeah. it goes a like, long I, way. I, I try to stay in touch with uh, at least some of the dudes that I was in with. And uh, the guys that I've interviewed and talked to so far, I try to stay in touch with them. Honestly, like if I've interviewed them, I try to like, I'll send them a text every now and again and be like, hey, what's up? What's going on? You know? I I don't think I'm very I'm not too too successful with all that but I, I try to make that effort because I feel like they deserve it you know and I definitely don't want to be someone who's like okay I got my story I got I got a story from you and I'm, I'm just gonna move on like no that ain't it but it's so much more than that it's it's a lot more than that it's like yeah it's more than it, just a story no, this is a person's life you're talking about. And they, yeah. they deserve that kind of respect. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, just to respect as a fucking human being, which is which is really all these dudes are asking for. It's just see, to be seen and be treated like a fucking human being. Yeah. Not like a fucking uniform or a fucking robot or some other shit like that. Just like, I mean, these are just regular dudes who happen to put on a uniform most days. And, uh, and that's their job. And carry a fucking gun. and. Mm-hmm. Sleep in a fucking hole. In a hole that they dug by themselves. Yeah. I didn't mean to laugh there, but that's, like, legit. Like, they literally dig their own hole that they sleep in sometimes. So, yeah. I mean, they're just guys who are basically putting on their work uniform, going to work. Just like any normal person, except sometimes their lives are put at risk and bullets fly. Well, more often their lives are put at risk, I would say. 
Yeah. But that's part of the gig. And like, yeah, it's easy to say it's like, oh well, they they volunteered for it, they asked for it. And it's like to a point, yeah, you're right. But at the same time, when uh, especially the younger you are, like 17, 18, 19 years old, and you're volunteering, you don't actually you don't really know what you're getting yourself into until you're well into it, you know. But that but by that point, it's too late. It's not like you can just back out. It's like, oh, I wasn't aware of this. It's like, well, too bad you signed the paperwork. You're doing the fucking time. So. Yeah. You okay? Yeah. Need to say anything else? Or do you want to say anything else? I don't really know what there is to say other than what I've said already. Just like, if you know somebody, just anybody, just reach out to them and talk to them. You know, just have a regular conversation. You don't need to talk about anything specific. Just, just talk. Yeah, I guess I'll go ahead and uh, put this out there now. If anybody out there listens to this, and uh, I'll probably put something at the beginning of the podcast as well at this point. But if there's anybody out there that knows anybody who was uh, who was over there uh, for the Neo in Kabul uh, last August 2021, uh, feel free to send them away. Get, uh, send them, uh, not send them away, send them my way. Or our way, well, yeah, my way, I yeah, guess, because I'll, I'll I'll be do I'll be the, I'll be the one doing the interviews. Yeah, no, not me. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, over at uh, Socrates at gmail dot com, and uh, yeah, they can just give them that email address and uh, tell them to shoot me an email. I'll be checking my uh, inbox slash uh, even uh, junk mail and uh, yeah, get in touch with them through there and. Uh, get more information about myself and about them through there and uh sit down and just talk one day like if you don't even if you don't want to have it have your have your story recorded or anything just fucking let me know and if you just want to sit down and just like i don't know, just like vent to somebody i mean i'm perfectly fine with that if you don't want your shit recorded then i ain't gonna record it but if you want to sit down and just talk then yeah we'll talk and if, i mean if one day you do want it recorded just let me know and we'll do the whole thing over again or if you want to do like yeah, if you just like, I feel like I'm just repeating myself. You you want to talk? If you just want to talk, we'll we'll just talk. That's all that is. I mean, I I was I was a marine. I was in. If you just want to like bullshit about that, then that's perfectly fine. So, but yeah, sorry for the. Uh, it's supposed to be a more lighthearted episode, but it ended up not being, and uh, I I feel a little bad about that, but. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you're good. You're really passionate about the topic, and that's good. So yeah, this will this will be out, and uh, probably not long after that will be Christmas. So yeah, so uh, if y'all celebrate Christmas or any other kind of holiday around this time, then by all means go all out. And I hope it, I hope it's a good one. Hope you spend enough time with people you care about, if family, significant others, or whatever. What were you gonna say? I don't. I was just going to say, yeah, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And if you don't like Christmas, then Happy Holidays. And if you don't like holidays, just be happy. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, we'll still try to have, uh, we'll still try to have another one out for, uh, uh, the 7th 
on next month. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Ooh, I have a quote. Can I go get it? Sure, go okay. get it. Finally, the quotes are back. <laughs> Dylan's wanted to bring these quotes back for a while. I've been slagging, honestly. Hey, I probably do have a quote I could use for this, but uh, I just don't have my paper with me. Oh, you're using my shit? Yeah. Oh, what it's the not, hell? It's not your quote, but it's Well, I know it's not. It's a quote that I use. Okay. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's probably the exact quote I was just talking about. <laughs> okay, this is a quote from um, that Christopher uses in his preface. Or prefaces, however you say it. Preface, preface, whatever. <laughs> it is, um, is it this one? Is this the one you were thinking about? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so this is from uh, one of my favorite books of all time. This is uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, by uh, written by Eric Marie Remark, mm-hmm. who is a, uh, he was a soldier during the First World War, uh, fought with the German army. And uh, he wrote the, it's a, the book itself is a fictional telling based on his own experiences during the war. So it's kind of like a, uh, it's kind of like a fictional memoir. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's really good. And uh, yeah, I mean, they just put out another All Quiet on the Western Front remake on Netflix recently, which we watched. Yeah. Uh, I had no context, so I thought it was really good. But according to Christopher... Uh, the original is better. Well, not the original movie necessarily. The movie I like is the one that came out in the seventies. Oh yeah, okay. The original movie came out in the thirties. Oh shoot, I didn't know there was one beyond that one. Honestly, yeah. on the, the, the original, the, the original film adaptation of All Quiet on the Western Front came out in the thirties, which I have not seen. Okay. But I do enjoy the one that came out in the seventies. And the one on Netflix, if you haven't seen any of it, it's pretty decent. <laughs> I will, I will say it's pretty decent, especially as kind of like a first world, just a movie about World War One. Mm-hmm. It's not bad, but it gives I, you um if if you've seen nineteen seventeen, it's it gives you those kind of vibes, or at least I got those vibes the whole time. And if you haven't seen nineteen seventy, you're living under a rock. Go watch the movie; it's so good. Nineteen seventeen is a good film, but yeah, it's it's a good movie about World War One, not necessarily about All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. So, but yeah, anyway, sorry. (laughs) No, no, you're good. Okay, so um, this is a quote from All Quiet on the Western Front. This book is to be neither an accusation nor a confession, at least of all an adventure, for death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. That's it. It's really, I don't know, it's really, it's a... It's, it's It's the first sentence, it's the opening line of the book. So. Did I say this wrong? Did I said at least of all an adventure. I meant and least of all an adventure. No, I thought you said it right. Did I say it okay? Yeah. Sorry if I said it wrong, guys. <laughs> I feel like I just messed it up. But anyway, if you want a good book to read, it's a uh, one. It's a good book, so go read it. And two, it's it's honestly not that long, and it's very easy to read. Mm-hmm. Which is part of what uh, makes it part of what makes it so good. Honestly, it's very simple, very easy to understand. But you still get all the emotion, all the feeling, and a, a good sense of what's going on around the these characters are in the book, which are based on the author and uh, his comrades who he fought alongside for near four years. I think he was in for almost the whole time. It's crazy. Yeah. He was lucky to survive. Anyway, that's the quote. I'm bringing the quotes back. They're happening. 
I just have to prepare them. <laughs> but if you're going to pull a quote from this, then I'm also going to pull a quote. Oh, are you going to do that one? I was literally thinking about <clears throat> saying this one, too. So this is a quote from the book that I read uh, by Elliot Ackerman that I was talking about before, uh, The Fifth Act. And uh, I was going through the pages, and this is towards, uh, towards like the second half. It's in like the middle of the second half of the book. And kind of goes towards like the theme I was talking about, like dehumanization and everything. And honestly, I felt like this is a very poignant uh, statement to make, and it's honestly very real. It goes, I'd rather be part of a lost generation, I think, than be the lost part of a generation. And unfortunately, I think that's what a lot of the uh, population is. That's no, that's what a lot of like the militaries become. It, mm. I think guys who go into the military. Especially guys who uh, participated in uh, the war on terror have become a lost part of a generation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. We getting deep with the quotes, guys. <laughs> anyway, we're definitely going to try to post something for January on time. And we really hope you guys enjoyed this. I know a lot of it was just like basically a life update that spiraled into a talk about that I can pull out, but we hope you enjoyed it because it's something that we're very passionate about. Christopher, even more than I am. But again, if you know, if anyone wants to reach out, you're more than welcome to email us. We're always open and willing to talk to anyone. And um, yeah, it's been good talking to you guys. It's been a hot second. Yeah, it feels good to do it again. Yeah. Sorry we haven't done it before, but like I said, we got a, a little busy and sidetracked and yeah. attempts to get this out on time uh, just didn't work out. So apologies for that. Yeah. Like I said, I've been doing them. I, I've done 10 interviews so far, so I've been kind of busy with that. And uh, Yeah. Yeah. All right. This has been Dylan and Christopher on Socrates on the Mountain, right? Yeah your little ghost thing <laughs> oh to all the ghosts out there uh, take care of yourselves take care of each other more than anything else and uh yeah just enjoy this time and reach out to somebody and uh spend time with family if you got it whatever you consider to be your family it doesn't have to be blood relatives anybody you're close to i know i can't wait to i can't wait to hang out with my boys uh after christmas and whether you believe it or not i am looking forward to the family vacation after that <laughs> I just know you're super excited about hanging with your boys as well. Yeah. I don't know. A lot of them I haven't seen in like two years. So I know. That'll be nice. Yeah. Last time you seen a couple of them was just like at our wedding. So. Which has been about a year. Yeah, it's been a year. So. But some two years, like you said. So. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.